Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hey guys, it's going to happen. August 16th through the 19th, HITS is coming back. The HITS Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, August 16th through the 19th. Get on there. It's the biggest, the best. Check it out. Hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net. Get registered now. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out. Horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody. We're working dog radio. We are back broadcasting the bite. Uh, as usual from Canton, Ohio, I am Eric Stambro. And from Tulsa, Oklahoma is Ted Summers. Ted, what's up? Uh, it's going to snow finally. So mm. I'm, I'm not super stoked about that. But uh, it's really weird. Like I've flipped, right? So <laughs> my landlord has gotten all of our drywall done and stuff. We've been rocking and rolling. It's been nice in the kennel. Um, so during, you know, the holidays, we had a bunch of pets come through. So we haven't recorded in like a month. We like knocked out a bunch of episodes. I, speaking of which, I want to stop for a second. The episode that was before this one uh, was Steve White. Uh, before we interviewed him, uh, after we interviewed him, uh, they went through Seattle PD had a stabbing and an officer involved shooting that involved canine um, and with canine Jedi. Uh, the dog have been uh, unfortunately didn't make it, but um, a lot of the things that Steve talks about in that episode are kind of. Um, you can listen to that episode and then kind of hear like what's going on in the background, but um, you know, it sucked. It's a shit sandwich for sure. Uh, but you know, I send the condolences to the handler and the family and that entire department. I mean, that was a shit sandwich. I mean, and their hands are tied based on some current stuff with that state. So, uh, but yeah, it was a great episode. Um, and speaking of law enforcement, I have switched like, so now through the holidays, we didn't have a ton of pet dogs. We did some boarding, there wasn't a ton of training going on. I think I had like 12 or 14 dogs or something. And um, now, like, everybody's like, they, they're kind of like, oh, and everybody's stories the same. They're like, oh, my family was here over the holidays because, and I got this stupid dog during COVID and he hasn't met anybody and he's just an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. And on top of that, everybody, a lot of our departments here, their budgets kicked in. So and everybody's like, hey, I got money. I went dogs. So we've got six police dogs in. <laughs> progress and i've sent out a bunch of invoices and stuff for other ones and so i'm starting to plan out handler schools and that kind of shit like down the line but yeah we just got two uh 
we finished a Frenchie today and then I got two Corsos, like two Corsos that from the same litter that the family bought. So it's two Corso females that uh, dropped off yesterday, which are interesting. So yeah, what about you? Um, yeah, we, uh, we get a lot of calls for Christmas puppies right now, but um, I've got uh, a large agency that I supply dogs to is coming up at the beginning of next week to test dogs. They got two from me a few weeks ago. They need one more. They're going to come back up. So I have four dogs for them to test. And then February 2nd, I got a shipment coming in from Europe. Um, so I'm just kind of keeping that going, changing up what I'm doing, though, with the dogs, man. And Cameron Ford was just here uh, Friday through Wednesday uh, doing cognition seminar the first three days and then uh, his odor phase <coughs> seminar the, the last three. Uh, the first three I had it I, almost exclusively for search and rescue people and then law enforcement on the uh, odor pace seminar. And uh, he came down to the house one night. We had to stop at the kennel, take care of dogs. He helped me out. And he's like, dude, you gotta, you can't be the guy going to the kennel. You gotta blah, blah, blah. And I, I had seven dogs at the time that, that day he was there. And um, I said, yeah, you know, I, I, but I like doing it and this is what I got to do. And he's suggesting I, I travel a little bit more and train, but what I am going to do though, is rather than get a load of dogs prior to um, testing is just keep dogs, just get some, I, I don't keep them very long, but I have a lot of departments reaching out to me and I'm like, yeah, I, right now I just sold out. I got to go get more. And that pushes them off. So I'm just going to keep some dogs in there and train them up. There's only a couple agencies that I'll sell green dogs to because of uh, just, you know, how, how that shit works. But um, yeah. so I'll do more training of those types of dogs. It's funny you say that about Corsos. We have two Corso puppies in our training program. So I have 10 trainers now. One has one and one has the other. There's three and a half months old. That's it. They're so bonded. The, the mother uh, died right after being spayed. She has the bite history. I, the father died. I, I don't know what's wrong with him, but um, we have these two puppies. Three and a half months old, the, the female already lit up the trainer, CJ, lit him up, split his hand, um, went after him today, grabbed his hoodie, ripped it, went after his feet. Like, and then the other one, is the polar opposite. So they're basically they're golems is what happened. They turned both of them into schmeagles and all they do is lay in the crate together and piss all over each other. So we're, we're doing that. There's the, the thing with Corsos in this state, there's a couple guys that are really good Corso breeders and I send people to them. And then we have some guys that are horrendous. Their dogs, every dog gets euthanized. Um, I've told the story, you know, the story that dog Ragnar that I trained a, Oh, dog, yeah. Corso bit me right. 22 times in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got him squared away pretty good, but he had to be managed all, all the time. And then the owners uh, who I really like, you know, kind of slipped on some of the management and the dog went after the father, the owner, the, the husband and had to get euthanized. Every single dog in that litter was euthanized. Every single one of them. They bit the one of them bit eight people, I think. Before they did the dog's name, that dog that bit eight people's name was Clubber Lang. I was like, oh, that's so cool. And 
I seen pictures of this giant corso and he would sit kind of crooked, just leaning back with his name, Clubber Lang. I was like, that's cool until he just bites eight people. So, but anyways, that's um, kind of where we're headed, man. It's been super busy. So today is the 14th of January. Tomorrow is the holiday party for the pet side of my business. Those you don't know, it's called Ridgeside Canine, Ohio. Um, So we have the employee party. But my wife said, no hoodies, no Ridgeside gear. It's a dress-up party. So uh, I got a three-piece suit with a purple tie <laughs> to match her shoes. I do. We, we bought a red carpet. And uh, all, the, all the women that work there or are married to the men that work there are super excited. I'm going to dress like a pimp. The rest of them are sure. not all that thrilled, I don't think. <laughs> of course. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Um, you got to see the refrigerator. My wife stocked it up there. It's insane. So we have a kind of a new employee. She's been there a few months. She opened the refrigerator and took a picture of it and sent it to her mother. It was like, this is where I work now. And it's all booze, the whole fridge. We just hired a new girl. that's like 22 and her dad is like an attorney or something and yeah. like she shows up and i haven't really talked to her and i'm you know tattooed shithead and she's like oh uh, she's like i want to learn to train police dogs i'm like i bet you do like <laughs> so she's already like a fairly accomplished me, pet trainer yeah let me hear how well your f word is yeah we'll, we'll gauge like, your internship on oh if you can cuss. Yeah. And then one of the police dogs punked her while he was in the kennel. I was like, and we're not one of the single purpose dogs punked her. Like, I was like, ah, I got bad news for you. Mm. <laughs> like, it's like he did. He wouldn't bite you if he had to. But so anyway, what do we got going on? Yeah, tonight? I'm asking you, what do we got oh, going on? tonight? So tonight we have somebody on that um, we were talking before we started recording and we actually met him like many like back back in the day like five or six years ago um at the albany street tax seminar with ken and ed uh dark horse guys um and uh it, that station that we were running was ridiculous so we didn't get a chance to talk to him but i followed him pretty much since then on social media and youtube and everything else and the one thing that i really appreciate is like the frankness that we talk about and is obviously you're gonna find he's a really talented trainer in his own right but he's really good at kind of like sussing out like why we as handlers or trainers and why dogs is dogs kind of like do the things that they do. Um, so he's been on some other podcasts with some of the guys we've been on before. Uh, so we're going to kind of take a different direction from those, but tonight we have uh, Tom Davis from upstate canine Academy. Tom, how are you? Good. How you guys doing? Doing well, Great. man. Awesome. Awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a measly 16 degrees here. <laughs> with uh ice on everything the everything is ice the cars are ice the sidewalks are ice everything is ice so it's fun it's windy so it, it makes things extra sucky i mean don't take this the wrong way but we did a hrd in uh buffalo in november mm. and it november was, 1st too it was fucking miserable <laughs> yeah buffalo is a different buffalo though buffalo is a different breed of new york though like God. buffalo kind of has their own their own shit going on like they uh yeah buffalo is a different thing they, we had they're, that, they're we had access to that giant like train station thing right so it's like a hundred it's made out of like granite i think they carved that thing out of like a solid piece of stone but it was like a refrigerator so like, yeah. i mean it was brutal i learned that uh below a certain temperature your beats headphones won't work 
So <laughs> yeah. like, nothing worked. Nothing wants to work then. Fuck. Yeah. And it wasn't even, they're like, and those, every one of those handlers from Erie County or from Buffalo were like, it's not that cold. I'm like, well, fuck, yeah. it's not. And Eric is like, dude, I'm from Ohio. Like, it's still cold. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's not that cold here. It's going to get down to like 30 and I'm freaking out. Um, so give us a little bit of your background. Um, how we got into dogs. Um, you kind of like, I kind of want to hear your like aha moment. Most of the guys that come on here, whether they're canine guys, military pet guys have that one dog. Um, we talked to uh, some of the guys from primal canine way out on the West coast. And Mike Jones had that. Mike, like, yeah. One, yeah. He had that one dog. Right. So kind of give us your like background and then give us like your aha moment. You're like, Oh shit. Like I'm actually not bad at this. Yeah, uh, for me, it was like a lot of other people who, who work with dogs is, you know, we all love dogs and we've been working with them since we were little kids, right? And I remember just, we lived in Southern Indiana for a while and my, uh, my dog at the time, I was like, I was young, super young. I was probably like three or four. And we, this dog had a litter of puppies and it was snowing. And I remember like we went out and we were getting all these puppies in and I was just so little. It's like one of the first memories I have of like dogs and me being just enamored by dogs. I just love that. And I'll never forget that. I mean, there's just certain, I mean, how many things do you remember when you were that young? Not many, if any, I don't remember anything else from that age. And so for, for the longest time, I just always, just remember dogs, love dogs, parents split up. All I had was dogs, you know, mom worked full time, dad moved away. Um, so really dogs were just a big part of my life. Like a lot of other people, I think that work with dogs now, I don't think anybody works with dogs now that don't have a passion innately from, from day one. And so, yeah, like a long story short and how I started working with dogs professionally is uh, just bounced around a little bit of uh, trying to figure life out like everyone else. And I didn't want to do college. I didn't like the idea of somebody telling me how much money I could make or, you know, where I was going to work or when I had to clock in and clock out. That was miserable to me. So I kind of bounced around a little bit. My mom kicked me out because I didn't want to go to college. So I lived in friends' houses, couches, tried to, you know, just figure shit out. And, uh, and then I got a job and then I moved back in with my mom and then I got a St. Bernard puppy. And then my mom kicked me back out and I'll never forget. She said, she said, we're not having a dog in this house that has to back his way out of her room. I said, okay, touche, fair enough. So, you know, that whole thing, I was just balanced around and um, saved a bunch of money, had this St. Bernard. Um, I was working like wine cook at Applebee's, just trying to make ends meet, uh, paying a bunch of money for an apartment by myself. And uh he, I, I basically he was like the cutest thing ever like a saint like a baby saint bernard puppy saint bernard's like most puppies they're just cute as hell and i was on my way over to my buddy's house and i was like man i want to show your kid siblings he has like two younger brothers and sisters and this puppy was like six months old so he's probably like the size of a normal medium-sized dog like a lab but he's only six months old and i pulled up and he went and got his brother and sister and his mom and his dad. I said, wait till you see this dog. He's so cute. And I went to the back of my car and I grabbed him and he was blue, completely blue. His lips were blue. His nose was blue. His whole face was blue. And so I was like, what the? So I grabbed him and I like flopped him on the ground and he was just lifeless. And so the family, it was like a horror movie, right? So there I go. I said, hey, go get your kid, brother, and sister. Come outside, see this new puppy that I worked my ass off for. I got kicked out of my house, all this stuff. Mom and dad were out there. 
And I was like, he's dead. He's dead. And they're like, what? I'm like, he's dead. My puppy's dead. And there's like this little cute, well, not little, but you know, this puppy St. Bernard just laying on their garage floor, dead blue. Right. And I'm like, what the, I was freaking out, of course, naturally. Um, so we loaded him up in the car, rushed him down to the ER or whatever. He was dead. And so from there, that's kind of, I didn't like, I started working with dogs shortly after that because I worked so hard to give this dog like a, a decent life, you know, get him an apartment. I don't want to live in a tent. I was living in a tent for a little bit at my friend's house and I didn't want to live in a tent with this dog. Cause this dog didn't ask to live in a tent, although he probably would have loved it. Um, so, you know, I, I just didn't get to spend a lot of time with them and I felt terrible. And so I was like, from that moment, I was kind of brainstorming on how shitty that was. And I said, well, I want to take care of dogs because this dog didn't get the best life starting off. And so I started my own dog walking company and um, my dog walking company then kind of got me into obviously professionally working with dogs. And when I say professionally, it means accepting money to work with dogs. Like I said, if, if we talk about working with dogs, like all of us, we've been working with dogs since we are in our diapers probably. But that's when I started like taking money, you know, walking dogs for 15, 20 bucks for a half an hour walk with people at work. And what I ended up, what ended up happening and kind of shaping who I am today with behavior modification is I was working with the misfits. I was working with the dogs that couldn't go to daycare because they were jerks or whatever. Right. So I, you know, worked with a lot of misfit dogs and kind of got my teeth really sharpened on that. I did that for about five or six years. Didn't make any money ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a very long time, drove a truck that uh, was so beat up and uh, shitty that I couldn't go on the highway to get to my clients. I'd take all the back roads because I couldn't afford anything else. So it's just one of those stories, you know, rags to riches type thing in a sense of like not really knowing what I wanted to do to then being very confident in what I like to do. So um, it, it, I really just kind of figured out my life through working with those types of dogs. I figured out how to run a business. I figured out how to work with clients. I figured out social media in the beginning when Facebook and Instagram started getting popular. And, um, you know, just having that dog walking business, I just busted my ass, just hardcore, trying to make some money when I was young. And as far as like an aha moment, I, I don't remember off the top of my head if I had a dog that I was working with and I had an aha moment, but I remember Actually, I lied. There is a couple. Uh, so I, I remember I, I, after working with all the dogs, I probably did dog walking before I offered training for about four or maybe five years. And one of my clients said, Hey, can I have this dog that you're walking? And interesting enough, nobody else can really walk this dog. I don't understand how you can do this. I've hired a trainer, trainer can't help, whatever. And I said, well, you know, you just, here's what's going on. Here's, here's what I think's happening. I, I don't have any problems. I can show you, I guess. So she wanted to pay me and I wouldn't take any money. And she's like, you know, that was pretty impressive. So I helped her with her dog. And from there, things kind of started rolling into like, they, she told her friends and then her friends told her friends. And I told people like, I'm not a trainer. I can't do that. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't confident. I was like, I don't, that's not me. I, I don't, I don't really know how to train, but little did I know you know, what I know now and what I believe in now, as far as tradition. And it's something I've talked about with a lot of other trainers and Michael Ellis and I had a long conversation about this on my podcast about it too, about just being non-traditional and how sometimes it's more beneficial to, to go down that road. But long story short, you know, the phone started ringing for training and it wasn't on the menu. And I was like, well, 
I'm not making any money dog walking. I'm living off peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. My truck's about to fall apart. And so I was like, nah, I'm not going to train. <laughs> After all that, I'm like, I'm not going to train. I, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. You know, as a world, I didn't really want to get in. But um, I did have this aha moment, I guess. So I'll keep this super brief. I've told this story a bunch. So if anybody's ever heard this story, um, you'll probably recognize it. But basically, I was walking this one Australian shepherd. And this one Australian shepherd was just a jerk. And his name is Atra. And he was on a harness, a rough wear harness. And he didn't like anybody but me. And so I was walking him. And you have to go over these railroad tracks to get to the trail that I was walking him on. And I had my, I had, a, I ended up getting another St. Bernard. So I had another St. Bernard. He just passed away like two months ago or last month. I can't remember, but I had him with me cause he went everywhere with me. And I went out with this dog and I'm walking across this railroad track to get to the trail. And I just look to my left and I see this big ass light. And I look to my right and I see my St. Bernard getting ready to play by me thinking it's a good idea to play on the tracks. So I don't really know what ended up happening, but I just kind of started walking towards him, my St. Bernard. And sure enough, he play bowed me, did the old turnaround, big ass in the air type thing and started running the other way. And so I was like, oh boy. So I had my client's dog with me on the right-hand side on a harness. And I had sandals on because it was in the middle of the summer. And the railroad tracks have these big, rocks in between the planks in between the boards that the railroad tracks hooked to. So I'm running and hitting every single one of these things trying to like, I can't even believe this is even happening. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's kind of thinking it's a game. He got into this tunnel vision thinking it's a game on this track, which apparently I read into that a lot of animals actually do that. I don't know why, but whatever. So then I look to my left and this freaking light is getting closer and I'm like, okay, that's a train and it's coming towards us. So I'm running, I'm calling, I'm yelling, I'm getting ripped off the tracks because as the train behind me is getting closer, the dog in my hand is trying to get away. So I'm getting ripped one way from a rough wear harness from an Aussie as I'm chasing my dog to try to get him off the tracks. And all of a sudden I can start feeling this train getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And I just remember looking behind my shoulder, seeing this light super close I kind of like blacked out adrenaline. I don't know what the hell happened, but I jumped out, grabbed my saint, flipped them off the, the tracks, pushed off the, the, the like little uh, cliff that these railroad tracks are kind of set up on. They're not on flat grounds. And I kicked back and I'm freaking out. And I'm holding on to him with a death grip. So he's yipping and trying to bite me because I'm, I won't let him go. I basically got his, I can just, I'm just, I'm not letting go. Right. I'm freaking out. Of course, my client's dog's trying to run away. I'm, I'm like, what the hell is going on? This train's two feet from me soaring by the brakes squealing and I'm walking away and I, you know, I grabbed his collar and I had a leash on me. I leashed him up and I'm walking away. I'm like, what the right. Scary as hell. Still scary. And I just hear this, Hey, Hey, Hey. And I'm, I look back and from what I understand, I would assume it's the conductor or whatever, the guy that's running the freaking train and he's got a clipboard. He's like, are you all right? And I'm like, dude, you tell me, bro. I'm freaking out. I don't know what just happened. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, well, 
you look good. And I'm like looking over myself. Cause if, if, if I were like hurt or whatever, I wouldn't have known because their adrenaline was pumping. Cause I had to just, I had the Superman, my dog off the railroad track. It was like an action movie. It was crazy. He said, well, let me put it to you this way. We got a cow pusher in the front of our train. And once we can't see anything past that cow pusher, there's a couple seconds before we hit it. And you were in that area that we thought. And so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, okay, you know, don't like freaking. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, I think I'm okay. I'm in sh- I think I'm in shock. I don't know. So he goes, well, I guess I won't need this death certificate. I'm glad you're alive. And he walked away because he had a death certificate. He thought he hit me and probably my dogs. And so I made a decision, you know, like my St. Bernard passed away before. And then this dog, I had, I made a decision to risk my life to save him or, or just what, you know, I just, I don't think I could have went through that tragic shit again at that early age. You know, I just, I didn't have much family split apart. No, I still have a great relationship with my mom, great relationship with my dad, but just, you know, I was just a young kid trying to figure shit out. And my dogs were all I had and that's all I've ever had. And I just couldn't let my dog get hit in front of me. So I risked my life, got him off the tracks. And then after that, this is kind of my, my, I guess my real aha moment after really getting to help people a little bit with training. After that, I said, I never want that to happen again. That was a scary shit in my life. And I Googled off leash dog trainer near me or off leash dog training or something. And that's where I met my now friend, Janine Lazarus. She's based out of West Virginia. And I, and I reached out to her and I said, Hey, my name's Tom. Uh, I, I have a local dog walking company and I just had an incident with my St. Bernard scared the shit out of me. almost died. I'm like, you know, shaken up by it. I'd really like to learn what the e-collar is about. I read your website. It sounds great. That was my first introduce introduction to e-collars. I knew nothing about it really. Um, and so I was like, you know, I was like, Hey, this sounds great. And the way that she put it together. And I was like, this is awesome. Hell yeah, let's do this. And, um, so I ended up meeting her. She's this British lady from, from, from the UK um, older than me and she's nice, but she's a British lady. So she's very, a matter of fact, she doesn't put up with any shit. She tells me, okay, meet me at seven o'clock at the park and I'll show you how to do this. And so I went there and she ended up, she's actually, she was actually one of the head trainers at the monks of new skis. So she was very like on track with the, how they introduced the remote collar, which is actually now how I use the remote collar as a conditioning tool. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first laid my hands on Doctra. I never really put the units down since. And that was kind of like a couple aha moments in my career where I started really understanding like the benefits of A, tools, and B, understanding that having your dog well-trained just isn't something that you want to do because it's convenient, but it's life, you know, life-threatening essentially to some dogs and even people in my case. And so from there, working with her, I shadowed her, I watched her, I woke up really early met her um just watched her train watched how she dealt with clients and with my background in business with my dog walking company that's really how i started you know i said well i'm not making shit money in dog walking at all i I worked really hard for five years and i just couldn't couldn't do anything with it and that's kind of how my (laughs) my my long story short uh that's kind of how i started really with all that shit so when you go um there's a, there's a lot of dog trainers that don't do uh, behavioral modification. Um, at what point were you like, that's my gig? Mm. That's an awesome question. So for me, like 
that, that's a gr- that's exactly what it was is I wasn't interested when I was saying before is I was like, I didn't want to be a dog trainer and I still don't. And this may sound weird, but I still don't call myself a dog trainer. And I always say to people like, I don't really, I don't know. I'm by nature in the dog training community because of what I do, but I'm really not in the freaking dog business at all. I'm in the people business. Everything that I do has everything to do with me teaching people how to be better dog owners. That's it. The dogs, you guys know this, the dogs are the easiest part of what we do. We're, we're, you know, it's, it's easy. And so for me, that's why I had a hard time because I didn't know what the four quadrants were. I didn't know how to put a slip leash on properly. I didn't know reinforcement. I didn't know. And still today, this day, I get shit from it from people because I may say negative reinforcement wrong in a demonstration or something. And I'm just like, look, like I behavior modification, if there was a problem, I had a solution. And so that's really what it was for me is I went down a road that I like to do, which was behavior modification. And it was like, if you had a dog that was aggressive or fearful or wouldn't get out of the kennel or whatever, that's what I really love to do. And it wasn't until I started really promoting myself online that I realized, A, that there were people who didn't understand positive punishment and B, that dog training was this cult-like savage community of some in some ways not all of it but and I was like what the hell I was like I just I just saved this dog's life this owner that was getting dragged that broke her collarbone can walk her dog because I taught her how to use a a prong collar and I'm I'm an asshole I'm confused so for me really to answer your question Eric it was like I I didn't know the difference I didn't know I was getting into the dog world and I didn't know how to frame myself. And still to this day, I work on it. That's why I call myself an educator. Cause I just, I'm really, that's what I am. And I just love problem solving. If there's a problem, it's what gets me, it gives me goosebumps. I love it. If, there, if there's a dog that wants to rip somebody's throat out of their face, I jump in the ring. I'm excited about that. And that's something that I focus on. And I tell people all the time, I, I don't love obedience. Obedience is a part of what I do because it, it, it helps a lot of the problems that are created off the external problems that dog, pet owners deal with. My dog's reactive because, you know, your relationship is junk. Your relationship is terrible. We'll talk about that later probably. But mm-hmm. so that's really how I started going down that path. Is like, I'm a problem solver. If there's a problem, I want to try to find a solution. You know, and that's one of the things that I kind of noticed early on about like kind of watching you um, was that you were willing to accept some some cases from people and, and I'm the same way, like where I'm at locally, um, we have quite a few trainers and when they get a dog that is just remotely outside of their comfort zone or remotely outside of what I would consider their skill level or kind of like how they do things, they're like, Nope, go see Torchlight. <laughs> they're like, not yeah. my thing, not my, and I know all of them or most of them. And I have a working relationship with a lot of them. I know some of them personally and uh, you know, we make a decent amount of money from dealing with what I would call behavior modification. And I, and I don't, we don't sell ourselves that way. Like I don't sell myself as a behavior modification guy. Like I'm and kind of like, uh, unlike you, like I say, like I'm a dog trainer. Um, I a hundred percent am. And, you know, uh, we take on some cases that are, um, some legitimately dangerous dogs. We've had some dog, Eric, same thing. Right. So, you know, 
and I, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with one willing to even accept that and, and do it. And two, cause I've had dogs come to me and people, like you said, like you talked about the, the dog that was like, Oh, nobody can train him. The trainer has already done it. Right. They can't do it. They can't do it. And we've had dogs come to us. And of course, owners don't tell me this, but they've already gone to other trainers and I'm like, yeah, I can fix it. Give me like two weeks. I'll take care of it. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And it's then two weeks later, the dogs are great. And they're like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, uh, you know, so, and it, and it's one of those issues that I think, um, and you mentioned it, like, there's a lot of people that are really vested and, and this goes into the conversation we're going to have in a little bit. There's a lot of people that are vested in the pet industry and how they do things and how they want things to be. Um, and there's a lot of people in canine that are vested in their brand, I guess is the best way to say it and how they think things should be. Um, and I'm no different and I, it's part of the reason we have a podcast, but so, you know, and that's one of the things that I really respect about how you do this stuff, um, and do these things. So, you know, before we take a break, I think, um, when we come back, actually, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the behavior modification stuff, what that kind of means and then how we can work on that with some of working dog handlers. So don't fast forward through the commercials. I, <laughs> we say it every time, but inevitably I got a note today from somebody, uh, what's the discount code for Ray Allen? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but it's in the fucking show notes. So go look at it. We'll put it on the show notes. So don't fast forward through the commercials. We'll be back in a second. Hits Canine Training Conference. This is America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric. All covering important topics. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida this year, August 16th through the 19th. And I know how you guys are. Everybody waits the last minute. And in the post-Rona world, everybody's training budgets are being cut and everybody's deciding whether they're going to be able to get to go or not. So don't wait because they're not going to have an infinite number of spots and the price goes up after a certain date. So get signed up as soon as possible. It's in Orlando. We'll see you there. Be sure to hit them up. Hits K9, letter K number net. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, performance dog food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. By now, you've probably all heard my story at least once. I'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself. So this next product is like near and dear to me because I actually use it. Uh, Quick Turn by Vet Care. 
it does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit. Stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. It's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet. Quick term by Vetcare on the inter- on Instagram and on Facebook. And then hit them up with the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years, if you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. EZRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car. Get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to Tactical Police Canine Training, that's letter K number nine, training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, we are back. Uh, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite uh, with Tom Davis talking about um, not being dog trainers, <laughs> but, being, <laughs> but being people trainers. So uh, before we left, we were talking about um, how Tom doesn't really view himself as a like a dog trainer, and you're still reluctant to use that term. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I just I, think I, it. I, I there's gonna be people who listen to this and they're like, "I'm a fucker's lying." Like, no, yeah. like no, no, and I like, I get it all the time. I get it. And I'm not trying to say I'm not a dog trainer, but at the same time I am, I'm just trying to remove myself from the toxicity that the dog training community provides because it doesn't, there's just too much of it. And so I just try to, instead of just trying to fight people tooth and nail about everything, I'm like, look, I'm not, don't even, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. Like I, I'm not interested in arguing about, you know, who's got a, who's got something bigger in their pants. I'm interested in like, helping people. And that's why I, I guess that's why I say that so much is it's not, it's not necessarily that I don't want to consider myself a dog trainer. It's just, I just find the toxicity in the community. Sometimes it's just 
overwhelming for me. I can't imagine what it's like for a confused dog owner trying to get help. Uh, and confused canine handlers is even just as bad. And it's endemic in both industries. Um, the one thing that I have done, and Eric has done this, and I've seen him do it, I do it. And when it is a, and it inevitably in, in Canada, it comes down to a credentials argument. You know, what have you done? Where have you done it? How long right. have you done it for? Um, very similar in the pet industry. What have you done? How long have you done it? What have you done it for? And eventually on a long enough time scale, the results are there. Um, usually, right. There are people, especially in canine in the pet side, you're not going to be around for a long time and suck. You're just not, I mean, right. like you can't because it's a capitalism like you're gonna get fucking eaten up and canine you're protected if you suck and you're a fucking shithead and you're a terrible trainer you can be protected by the industry and you'll be protected by the industry because of your position um and i know guys in canine that are that have been doing it for 25 35 years and the joke is it's like well i guess you can always do it right i mean like (laughs) You know, and uh, one of my buddies or one of our buddies, Gavin, you know, has said, you know, he was like, you know, you're the amount of time you've done and done a skill set doesn't necessarily prove proficiency. And to that in canine it is very much the case. Like some and I hear it all the time. They're like, nobody cares how long you've done it. How many times did you do it? And um, that's the one thing we run into with a, a, a thing that we have um, in this industry and in called a master trainer where there's a certification and it's a fucking thing. And, but the, the requirements for that are actually fairly low. Um, and it's always interesting to me when I see that kind of thing and it's a credentials argument. So people are, people have vested interests and they're very vested in that. Like, and it's no different than politics. It's no different than religion. I mean, it's a vet, they have a vested interest in their version of events being correct. Um, so that's like I said, you know, when we start talking about behavioral modification and we started talking before we started recording, Eric brought up like, Hey, you know, this is a lot of guys are like, Oh, it's just the crazy Malinois. It's this, or it's that, or it's whatever. So, um, with that, we start talking about behavioral modification. Um, I, I tell pet owners, and this is a good analogy too. And I tell canine handlers this too. I'm like, you know, you're actually a really good dog trainer. The only thing you have to be a good dog trainer. This is the big secret. You have to have consistency and you have to be able to identify the behaviors you want or don't want and somehow manage those in some one of those quadrants. And with pet owners, I'm like, you just have to be able to identify the behaviors you want and don't want. And then you have to consistently either correct or reward those behaviors. That's all you have to do. And inadvertently for this dog's entire fucking life, you have rewarded the wrong shit, which is why he does this. And, yeah. you know, they kind of look at me like, it makes so much sense. I'm like, yeah, you're actually a really good dog trainer. You just don't know what the hell you're doing. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so these dogs have learned these behaviors because they're all it's, it's learned. And there's one behavior that I do want to talk about in a little bit. And Eric, I'm sure knows what I want to ask. But um, so, Eric, give us your take a little bit on that. So <clears throat> dogs are dogs, in my opinion. Some are, you know, high higher drive dogs that we do um they're easier to train like there's a lot of dog trainers so so me when i started getting the pets from doing police work and then i have hired a few guys that work for me that um were like yeah so this this uh bichon here won't take a ball i what i don't know 
<laughs> what I'm supposed to do or will not work for food or things like that, that the working dog uh, guys have been able to, you know, get through a lot of things. But when I, we're talking about behavior modification, so if somebody was to get on your um, social media, the no bad dogs, get in there and start looking around, they're like, wow, this guy, you know, a lot of pet owners and things like that. How does that relate to me as a, as a canine handler or a high level sport dog handler? Um, but behavioral problems in dogs, in my opinion, are the same causes are the same. And so if you were to go and I'm sure you've been to some working dog stuff and working around the police stuff, and I know you and Michael Ellis have talked and everything. What would you say to the, to the handler that is walking his dog up to do detection and everybody has to pin against the wall because Hey, watch out. Jojo's coming. You know, he'll fuck you up on the way through. And, th and the dog that it's his behavior is being excused as a, as a crazy aggressive dog. Cause he has street bites or a Malinois. That's why he spins all over the place. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Cause you guys are like, so in, involved with the working dog stuff. So for me as a, as an outsider, if you will, into the behavioral game of the working stuff is, I mean, obviously we can take a deep dive into genetics and where the dog came from and all that stuff. That's a whole different conversation, but I think a lot of it too, for, from what I understand and some of the newer handlers that I have dealt with is, is it also becomes almost like a, it's part of it where they think like, Oh, I have the canine dog that, okay, let me, I'll, I'll back up. So, um, guy that we, guy that we know, Chris, Chris, that you guys know, Chris and I, um, we, we were in a partnership together and we imported a dog and we trained it. We sold it to a local police department by the boss in the Boston area. And Chris was like the, the department that's buying the dog just wants to see the dog's hunt drive. I'm like, okay, but we just bought this dog knowing that he's already on hidden sleeves and all that stuff. They don't care. They don't even want to see it. They, they're not interested in, in any of that stuff. Like we're already in all this passive work and like the dog's like ready to go. And they're like, yeah, he just wants to see him chase a ball through tall grass. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. So we sell the dog and, and we actually meet up with the handler. He's a younger gentleman and we're talking and I don't know what we were talking about, but he says, yes, my, my first dog. I'm like, Oh, this is exciting. Like, this is going to be fun for you. I'm excited for you. You know, that's going to be great. I'm like, so, you know, what's your experience outside of this and blah, blah, blah. And this blew my mind. And I'm like, yes, he's a beautiful dog. Like, I'm sure you can handle it. You know, you probably love dogs, right. You know, as a canine handler now. And he's like, no, this is my, this is my first dog. And I'm <laughs> like, like ever he's like yeah and i know this dog that we built up and he's just a stud of a german shepherd and i'm like really he's like yeah mm -hmm. and i and i'm not in the you know i'm in the pet game so I, i'm not you know i it, it's part of the 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 ecosystem of dogs any i want to always know how dogs tick i don't care if they're doing rally obedience or they're doing apprehension i always find it interesting so i was really taken back by that but i think what ends up happening is, is I think it's an ego thing. It can be where people get out this dog that is trained to bite the bad guy. But I also don't think that dog handlers get, and I know you guys know this dog handlers don't get 
a fair opportunity to understand the whole game, the whole system that the dog that's biting. I mean, and you, and, and don't get me wrong. There are some asshole dogs that just love biting. They're addicted to it. Like they love the fight. You know, there's dogs out there like that. You get like a solid cane PV line that comes in and they're just, you know, they love that stuff. But then you get just like a really nice, well-bred active working dog and it's a game, you know, it's the whole game of building the dog up on a tug and blah, 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 blah. And I think handlers, when they, in this particular case, this dog, this guy was terrified of this dog no. because we sent him videos of him doing passive work with Chris and hidden sleeves and all that stuff. And he's terrified of the dog. I'm like, you got to understand that this dog was doing that out of like obsession over a toy. Like he wasn't hurting Chris cause he didn't like Chris. He was doing. So that's one thing I really never that, that took me back. And I want to reflect on that, on this topic, because the, my point is, is if the guy thought that the dog was actually aggressive because he was, he was pushing into a bite and Chris was screaming. Right. And the guy probably thought the dog was aggressive. And so I, I, I think it's this thing that once they go through the Academy and they go through the training, maybe they get to know the dog a little bit. Um, and, and, and now they're doing great and the guy knows what he's doing and it's, and it's awesome, but it just took me back that the guy never had a dog and I don't, and I, and I just never knew that that was a thing in the, in the police division, that it's kind of a lotto that you get a dog. And I think when, when somebody gets a, like a police handler gets the dog out, they do have a responsibility. They have a specific task that they have to do and they have to go in there and keep everybody safe. I mean, ultimately that's the end of the, that's the end of the day. Everybody wants to come home and be safe. Right. And I think a lot of it is that some people just feel that the dog is supposed to be an asshole to everybody because he doesn't like the bad guy. And so as you guys know, as you're developing working dogs or police dogs, and it doesn't matter if it's a dual purpose dog or single purpose dog or whatever is just the development. I think handlers aren't involved with enough of the development. You guys are, you guys are developing dogs. You're selling it to the department. The department gets the dog. The, the handler gets the dog and now the handler thinks like, okay, this dog's, this, this dog is now on the force to be a jerk or whatever. So I think they're just the education of like, actually they're not, it's not really the best idea to get them this fired up for a traffic stop um, that, you know, maybe there's a turtle on the road and whatever. I don't know. So I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not into that game as much, but I just think that that craziness that you're talking about is almost a badge of honor. I have the crazy ass dog in the back of my car. And if anybody wants to get the smoke, they're going to get the smoke. And I think, I think that I see that and I'm like, yeah, but you can also like have a really nice dog turn on with a flick of a switch and they're silent until they get there. So for me, in my opinion, the way that I'm looking at that, that handlers get dogs is, is if they know a little bit more of the development of the dog and actually know the game of why dogs go after bad guys for the most part is it's fun as hell for them. They're not really like this aggressive innately nasty dog. Cause if they were, they wouldn't be good with the handler, but that's just getting granule on. Of course, there are some dogs that aren't good with their handler too, but I don't know. That's just kind of my two cents with it is I think it just becomes this, this thing in law enforcement that if you have a canine, it's an asshole and it's gotta be, and it's gotta yeah. be wild. And you gave me a perfect segue because that's kind of like where we're going next with the handler thing. But, you know, you kind of like summarize really quickly what 
uh and and we've said this before a lot like eric and i live in a bubble right like i mean we do a lot of pets but we also do a lot of canine and on and it's a super specialized like skill set within law enforcement and it's even within training with even within dog training is a very specialized skill set as well and so eric and i and guys like us and must a bunch of them been on the podcast more than once get really good at doing a lot of the, a lot of the same things over and over and over again and kind of what you're describing is the misconception of what these dogs are what they're not um 110% there are some dogs that are just fucking dickheads and right. they they will bite people and they do not need a reason i got i got a couple now and but they're yeah. social in a sense that i can have them out and around and i'm not they're not going to bite me um but they i mean at one point they would but you know um and, right. you know, you hit on something, too, where, you know, you guys did a lot of work. Um, you and Chris did a lot of work on this dog pre to do passive work and everything else. And if he's going to Boston or if he's going to the Boston area, I'm sure he went to Troy school. And so they have to go through that big ass long school. And so the dog probably did really well in school. Um, but there's a preloading and this is not our fault. Um, there's a preloading on dogs and to come from Europe on excessive amounts of bite work. Um, I have a dog right now that I got that is, I get that motherfucker out and he is on fire. He's trying to nuke anything and everything and everybody that is around because for his entire fucking life, every time he's been gotten out, they back tie him and they do bites with him and they do it so they can sell it. I was going to say and sell it. Yeah. So then I, they get to a trainer and I'm like, I got to teach this motherfucker how to down. Like I got to teach him to chill. I'm like, stop. And so it's this misconception and that's how they pick dogs. So we're fighting a battle of how departments and, and trainers and have selected dogs in the past and how they select them now. And we're really talking about the battle between what we feel a good police dog is or what needs to be. And like you said, there's a lot of people that get these dogs and they want drive, 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 drive. And they get one that has that. They get in one, they get a dog that has enough drive for three goddamn dogs. And they're like, ah, uh, he's too much. I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> you fucking asked for. So, yeah. I mean, like, you know, you got to do some drive capping exercise. You got to do this. You got to do that. So in that same vein, you mentioned it. Like there are some dogs that are not good with handlers. Um, Eric and I both um, kind of have a reputation for taking dogs that have uh, <laughs> a problem with their handlers in the past and smoked them and being able to convert them. So on the working dog side, I would say uh, we do what we would call behavior modification of the canine side. I've taken some dogs that have handler that have bite histories with handlers and have successfully trained them without getting smoked. Uh, there's been a couple of close calls, but without getting smoked, Eric's the same thing. And then um, deploying those dogs to the department and then having successful careers, not biting handlers, biting the correct people and working. So we start talking about handler aggression. Uh, I'll just kind of go out on a limb. And I'm about 100% convinced that it's a little bit genetic, but it's also created. It's 100% created. And the ones that I've seen, um, with the exception of two that stand out to me, but um, the handler aggression is created um, in my mind. So, and it's something that's kind of unique to canine or to like this type of like biting sport dogs. Like you don't see fucking labs that are like super handler aggressive. I mean, they're least reactive to other people, but like if you correct them, they don't turn and smoke you or they don't turn on you in frustration or whatever else. So 
from your perspective, where does that come from? Well, yeah, without the genetics being a, a role, because that, you know, it's just, it, that's why this, and I'll ask you a, a question after that I have in my head, but I think, I think it's just two things is I think the, like I said before, like that, the particular handler, handler that got this dog didn't have any experience. And I know they go through the academy for a reason, but even if, I mean, how long is a normal academy? Like six to eight months? Uh, no. <laughs> Fuck no. What is it? should be. So yeah, so yet like you sent a dog to a program that's actually really good. Like Massachusetts, Florida, there's a couple of states in the country that do a really good job, and it's like a state statute thing. Like they have to go through these programs, right? Pick a state, like another yeah. state. Like for instance, like where Eric is at, there's not a in Ohio, there's not a mandated amount of academy you have to go through. And where like I'm from, or shit, like Louisiana, and I'm not picking on Louisiana. Don't send me any fucking emails. But you can go to the pound. <laughs> You can grab a dog and write canine on the side of your patrol car in Sharpie and you're good to go. Right. So, so that, there that, is no mandated. And right now there is a schools or academies are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And, you know, and it's, it's a money thing and it's admins. It's admins saying, I don't need, I don't have enough coverage to have, you know, full staffing and send this guy to school for, six weeks you said six eight months yeah I, shit, I have no shit. Idea. we're lucky if we get we're lucky if we get a month that's crazy well yeah. Th- yeah. there's no, that I, there's my, I don't disagree yeah, yeah. there's my answer but, but my my other real answer is 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 again it's the same thing that we talk about a lot in our behavioral kind of conversations i guess is we talk about veterinarians giving behavioral advice and how much time that they spend in school going over behavioral advice and it's the same thing as you're going to send this dog to school to learn how to sniff bad shit uh and and chase the bad guy but how much time are you spending on building a relationship so my answer primarily specializing in behavior modification and building a better relationship with the dog regardless of if it's little Susie with her maltese or it's it's sergeant guy over here with this malinois just understanding that relationship really again excluding these genetically you know, these, some of these dogs that we get from Europe that are just, yeah, those are those special dogs that you send in when you need to. But I think relationship, they're not spending enough time saying like, Hey, here's how to play tug with your dog. Like they're saying, Hey, throw the ball on the ground, but how do you, how do you create that relationship? And it almost seems just sloppy. It just seems out of control. It seems. And again, it's hard for me to say, especially this is your guys's gig on your podcast. It's like, I don't know enough about it, but that's as a behavioral guy, looking at some of these dogs, it's like, you know, what's, you know, what's really cool. What's really cool to see is a badass dog that can turn on at any given time. That's just really in control. You got a loaded gun on a leash that is ready and willing to go and is stable. That's cool. But a dog that comes out that gets fired up for no particular reason, because they just don't have good desensitization skills and the handler doesn't know how to calm the dog down because they're actually not a dog trainer. That's what, that's what I have a hard time understanding is, and some of these dogs are anywhere from eight to 50, $60,000. And we get a handler that's never had a dog at home, get a handler into the streets. And then they go out with this, with this dog and it's messy and it's sloppy and it makes guys like you probably look bad, right? Just like how a balanced dog trainer and somewhere else can do a really shitty job will make me look bad because I'm also in that category, right? So for me, it's uh, to answer your question, I think it's a lot of teaching, teaching handlers how to create a better relationship so they can handle these stressful situations because 
if a dog is out of control at the end of a leash, very, very highly stimulated, and the handler doesn't know how to pull that back a little bit without getting redirected on and building more frustration because they just don't have that fundamental relationship. They're getting in the car in the morning, the dog's getting the back, they're on the way to work. But I think that there are some handlers, like Chris is a perfect example, Chris Jones. He's a guy that now works. He didn't have a canine for a long time, and now he has a canine. And he was decoying all of the area's dogs because the, the, the handlers were like, we don't know what, what we're doing sometimes. We need help. But Chris, it took Chris year to get, you know, years to get a dog, and now he has one. But I just think, you know, it's just lack of understanding what a dog is. I think maybe it seems like the, the handlers aren't getting enough understanding of how to build that relationship with a dog. So when you get out in the street and there's a stressful situation, how do you talk a dog off the ledge of biting the right guy versus the bad guy if you can't communicate? Like, just like we were talking about earlier about, I think, Ted, we were talking about the pet dog industry and how dogs get the way they do. So, so a dog comes in that's reactive, right? And they're working. I, I have a dog in right now that is a two-year-old intact giant schnauzer that is starting to growl at mom and dad. And it's like, okay. And they come in. And of course, that, that is a working dog. I mean, it's not a Malinois. It's not a Dutchie, you know, but it's a working dog. Those dogs still work. And when they come into the facility, I say, okay, what's the problem? Well, we're starting to growl and we're starting to go after and we're starting to get reactive okay let me see you on the leash oh well we don't we don't really do a lot of like leash work we we have a lot of acres and we're just mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of leash work i'm like all right well let's just let's just let's just go out you know go out walk around a little bit this isn't a test don't get stressed out i'm not going to judge you you know if you were good at what you were doing you wouldn't you wouldn't be paying me to help you right don't don't fret don't get stressed go out let me see what you can do go out. Hey, Fido, sit, 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 sit. I'm like, okay, that's all I need to see. Let's have a seat. Let's talk. So let me get this straight. You got to, and this goes back to your conversation about the handlers. So you got a dog that genetically, I mean, look at a giant schnauzer and what they're supposed to be doing and the power and the ballsiness that they have from my experience. I don't know about you guys, but they're powerful, fun dogs. If you know what you're doing with them, just like any other working dog. Right. So I say, let me get this straight. You got a dog that is starting to exempt to exhibit these behavioral problems, but you can't get your dog to sit and do obedience. So for me, again, working with behavior and specializing in that the behavior modification takes is like a level 10 out of 10 of hardness, if you will. And I was like, but you can't even, you're not even at graduation number two yet. I don't even, I don't even want to talk about why your dog is growling yet unless you can get your dog to sit and stay for you because your relationship is whack and none of it matters. And I think it comes back down to the handlers is we get a dog out of the car. They're stimulated because this is the routines that they do. They're ready to go. The sirens are on, you know, the commands, the announcements are coming out and we're fired up and that's good. Cause you need, and that's the hard thing for me to talk about this because I know there's some guys being like, yeah, but when you're in a situation like that, young man, you don't understand shit's going to, I'm like, I get that. But at the same time, like what would be really nice is if you said, come and then get on your alert and do whatever you need to do. But I just feel like the basic shit is not, and, and this may be true. I don't know. You can reflect on this, but again, somebody comes in with a giant problem, but they don't have the basic shit down and they don't know how to communicate with their dog. 
is it's never going to be a recipe for anything good. So uh, we, in that segment, we said the word relationship like 500 times, which is we know yeah. because we use it every day, all the time with talking to um, pet owners and things about the damage to the relationship. And it's, you know, for those folks, some of them, they're like, yeah, yeah okay. Nodding. And you're telling you as you're going through training and for some of them, it's a massive life change and they just can't do it. But for a canine handler, getting a canine is a massive life change, right? It's, uh, it's now your job, but you only have the dog at work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. The rest of the time, the dog lives with you at home and is part of your family or, you know, part of your pack. Some people just keep them out in the kennels. That's cool. You know, a lot of places that's rules. So if you were getting that new guy, got the dog and, and going to start training what would you say to him? This is how you need to live with this dog to have a great relationship, like the right way overall. I know some dogs are different than others, you know, but in general, you know, like we talk to um, pet owners about not letting the dog roam free for long periods of time and the when, when and where to give affection and things like that. Because when I talk to guys, they just roll their eyes at me, um, the canine guys. But how, how would you break it down to them and say, listen, if you do this, this is going to make your work life a lot better with this dog because you're not going to be creating problems that we have to fix. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's it's very similar to what we were talking about is, is if you came in, you said, I'll throw as much money as you want at you to fix this. I'm like, I can't fix this. It's not my dog. I don't need to fix that. I don't need to fix this first of all. And, and I think it comes back down to the other problems is I'm like, okay, so let's say as a canine handler, you, you're having this problem and you guys can kind of insert whatever that common problem is on the street within the department. This is the problem we're having. I say, okay, okay, let me, that that's kind of advanced. I understand why that's happening. Let's pull it back a little bit. What's your relationship? Can you get your dog to sit on command without, without an exterior motivation? Can you get your dog to stay and, and walk away just a little bit? Can you get your dog past graduation number one? If you're working on this behavioral problem that's a little bit more advanced, let me see what your basics look like. So I think for that handler, it would really be auditing how well you can handle this dog fundamentally first before complaining or trying to fix an advanced piece of problem solving. Because that's what it comes down to me is if your dog is biting people, but your dog doesn't know heal, I don't want to talk about it because you can't control your dog. So I think it comes back down to the fundamentals and just, under, and I think too, is just taking time. I think people get so like, that was a great point that you said that they're in the, they're in the car or they're on patrol for whatever, six to eight hours. Well, the other part, like you have a huge responsibility for yourself, the department, your community to spend time to say, yeah, my dog went through training, but do I really have the best relationship with the dog? Can I down my dog on command without any, you know, operant conditioning and any, any type of punishment, any type of motivation? Can I do the very basic things? And I think that it's, I know for pet owners, it's one of the big, it's, it's our bread and butter is people come in with a behavioral problem, but they can't get their dog to walk nicely on a leash. So I think just getting back down to the very basics of learning how to hand feed your dog. But again, it's like, I don't know how many, how many of the working dogs out there are going to be okay with hand feeding i just don't know because i'm it's not it's not my 
it's not my lane. So we do it. I did it today. That's how I start. And that's how Eric starts too. We start because, and the reason we start that way, one is because it creates the relationship, right? And two, because they're in a liar, lower drive state. If you get a fucking prey item out, most of those dogs turn into fucking right. with no control. And then they've already been exposed to pray, 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 pray all the damn time. No, I start with food tracking. I do with food because it's a super low prey obedience. I do with food at first because I can get 9,000 fucking reps in without them trying to kill me. And so, you know, the, you mentioned something that's really good. Like one thing that I yell at my pet owners about is they're constantly reinforcing behaviors in dogs that suck, right? Like the dog is anxious and they're like, Oh, I'll save you. I'm like, no, fuck him. He's fine. He's not going to die. Like he doesn't need to be scared of trains. Like don't mm -hmm. play, don't play on, obviously, as we just heard, don't play on train tracks. Yeah. That's a, like, yeah. Stay away from the train. Yeah. Track. Stay on chase have train tracks. But on the other hand, like if a horn honks, you don't need to fucking freak out and run to the next County. Like just like, yeah. you don't need to be scared of literally anything and everything. Canine handlers have the exact opposite problem. They're constantly. So all of these dogs are bred, selected, trained, and, you know, handled knowing that they're basically like the high school bully that's never lost a fight in their life. Right. So canine handlers are constantly fucking gassing their dogs up. And it's one thing that I can't fucking stand. Right. right? So with pets, they're, they're not like, supposed to be like that. Right. Well, well I mean, they In are the right, to an extent at, right at the right moment, really. right at the that's right moment. I mean. Right. That's what but, I mean. Right. Like, where's the go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. So like with with pet owners, you know, they're like, hey, they think that they anthropomorphize it a little bit like, oh, there's a problem. So we try and console them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then with canine handlers, when a dog does something, the dog does anything. They're like, oh, good boy. And that's something left over from Eric's generation, like from the late 80s, early 90s, where they pray. Eric's like looking at me like, what the fuck, bro? Like, yeah. it's you know, I can always tell somebody that was trained by somebody else that was trained in the 90s because they're constantly like, good boy, good boy. And I'm like, you can't even fucking see him. Shut up. Like, he's not yeah. being good. You don't know if he's being good. And that doesn't mean anything anyway. And the constant need to talk to fucking dogs. Like yeah. he doesn't understand what you're saying. Shut up. And yeah. that's one thing that, you know, we're, you know, we talk about a lot at HRDs and we see that. And you mentioned like basic stuff. So at HRDs and like when you were, when we were at the thing in Albany, we had a fairly complex scenario running, but there was, um, and it's what we go back to a lot in these HRD seminars is we're like, look, we're doing these super complex scenarios, but it's really just chaining together a bunch of basic exercises yeah. and a bunch of basic drills. And then it's one thing that I talk about a lot on the podcast and that we talk about on our Patreon page. And I talk about it at HRDs is we back chain a lot of exercises. Like this is what this micro skill looks like perfectly, right? He yeah. goes into this room, does this, and then recalls no big deal. Right. So there's these individual behaviors that need to be worked on. Right. Cause if the recall, if the recall sucks, you're, you're done. Right. Wait, way back in like the episode fucking 40s. I don't know, like way back at like hits 2017 or 18. We interviewed Ken Pavlik and Ken talked about um, there's a tech detection side, but like if there's a certain portion of the detection, like each individual step of the detection, whether it's the 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 pre-deployment like ritual, then sending, then the dog hunting, then the dog going through a TFR a train final response. All those things, if there's one portion of that that's really bad, they stop, they pull, they, and the way he describes it is they pull it out, they train that specific skill set, they plug everything back in and then run it at full speed. And I think everyone tries to do everything at once. And the yeah. basics are really, really neglected. 
So, and the one thing that I try to instill in my handlers and that at HRD also is like, just fucking wait, like, hold on a second. Like, why are yeah. you in such a goddamn hurry all the time? Like, I get it. Like we need reps in, but just like, stop, wait. And with my handlers that I train, like I'm really big on one command, one behavior. Cause all the time I tra- transfer the dogs over, you know, they're generally like, if I tell them to sit, like they know, like sit, like I don't need to reward them. Like just sit down and shut up or down. Right. And while I'm talking to handlers and we're debriefing or I'm telling him something, giving instructions, I'm like down the dog. And you say plots and boom, he hits the ground. And I'm like, now look at me and listen to me. And then they keep looking at the dog and I'm like, don't fucking worry about him. Cause when we're doing debriefs at HRD, it's constant. Right. Like Eric will tell you, like dogs are fucking barking and like handlers aren't controlling the dogs and they're just over, uh, just overstimulated constantly. So, and you're hundred percent right. Like working on basic shit is a way that you can progress your advanced skill sets down the line. And that's no different than any portion of law enforcement. Like everyone wants to do all the crazy, like shooting shit. And it's nothing more than the really, really, really good application of fundamentals. Yeah. And yeah. so everybody wants it yeah everybody wants a hole in one but they don't want to work on their golf swing they no. don't they don't want yeah. to develop it yeah. yeah that's a good way to put it all right before we go on a com- uh, commercial we're going to come back and talk about uh e-collars but before we go i want to oh, yeah. i want to talk i want to ask about a it's a uh, not a controversial subject at all but it's a a debated subject amongst people is this concept of a dog's love the, the dog's love of the human doing things because they love the human. And it's really a big thing in canine. And it's because the, you know, the dogs and the handler are side by side work and everything like that. And the concept that the dog dives through the window after the guy, because he loves the handler um, and things like that. They, we see guys say it all the time. So all, you know, through the thousands of dogs you've, dealt with and all the experts you've dealt with what have you come up with idea wise on that concept yeah that's a good question i think i think dogs care about us uh i think we love them more than they love us i think that they protect us more than we protect them i also think that we have to realize that we're all they got so here's some here's the way i put this is pet owner comes in for a four-week board and train at one of our facilities they say yeah, about, you know, and what I, what clicked to me over the years, I said, you know what, you know, what's interesting. I say this to my trainers all the time. I say, you know, what's interesting is that dog doesn't know mom and dad just spent a shit ton of money for them to be here. That dog thinks we're <laughs> their new, we're, we're their new owners. Right. And I say, how long does it take normally for these dogs to love us and get affection and get treats and belly rubs and go lay in the cop in the, in the studio with you? It's like, I don't know, like a week. They're over it. Gone. You don't exist. So I, I don't want to say that dogs don't care about us because of course they do, but we have to understand we're the only show in town. They love everybody for the most part. So, and I'm also, I, I'm, I'm also kind of a, a critic on it too, because I would say more than half of the behavioral cases that come into my facility, whether they're court mandated or it's, it's a, it's a bite kill type thing, whatever or it's just my dog doesn't listen to me is people having too much love. I always tell people, turn the love down and turn the leadership up. It's not a, you guys are buddies. You guys are buddies. You guys are buddies at best. 
like I said before, what's really cool is you being able to control a dog through respect, understanding, um, compassion and empathy of like, you know, there's a big difference between love and control. So I, I think, I think if you, I think if you get too emotional about it, you, you could, you could damage your relationship with your dog. That's what I think. I think that obviously dogs care about us, but they care about humans. That's why they're here. Why would we have dogs if they, if they hated us, they wouldn't be here. They care about humans. Somebody comes to my house right now. The Dutchie that's in front of me is going to whack her tail and knock over every glass, every goddamn mm-hmm. glass in my house to get to that person because they're just as excited to that person as they are to us. They just know me better. So I, I think that they care. I'm not saying that dogs don't care about humans because I think that they do. But I also think that a lot of the dog owners that I deal with have no control over their dogs and their dogs have so low self-esteem for their humans. And the dog owners actually make their dog feel like they have to protect them all the time. So you, I, I see a lot more dogs being overly protective and over like loving and over cuddly if you will, with their owners, because their owners are, they just, they're not in control. So you might have a dog that's a little bit more compassionate and a little bit more touchy feely with their owners, but dogs who are really stable and dogs who are really balanced don't, aren't like that. (laughs) They don't want that. That's, that's my two second opinion on it. I have like two species I give. I give one to canine handlers and I give one to pet owners. So the one I give to canine handlers is i was like everybody's heard that song from snoop dog where he's like we don't love them hoes i was like that's what dogs think about you like hmm. and if you talk to um i you may have heard of him justin rigney he's really big in the canine and in, in he was a canine handler in florida ran uh west palm beach canine unit or county down there um great trainer great handler great guy um but he was like you know dogs are the most selfish animals on the planet they will take the shortest distance between two points and they will take that to get to whatever it is that motivates them. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a very simplistic explanation, but I think it's a hundred percent true. And yeah. finding out the motivation for that is a lot of what we do is a lot of what I do. Right. So which Eric started this episode out with being like, I don't I'm a good fucking police handler training and fucking pet. And we're like, how do you like, you didn't want a ball. What am I supposed to do? And you're like, well, <laughs> so we have to de- kind of determine some of the motivation. So, and I tell my pet owners, I say, look, the reason that these board and trains are so successful is because it's a very transactional basis. It's not my dog, right? So, like, I mean, I like my dogs. Like, my Malinois sitting here next to me looking at me. Like, he's, like, over here, and he's, you know, 11 years old. He's rad. And, like, he, like, quote, unquote, loves me. Like, he's my dog, and he's awesome. Um, but we have, a, we have an understanding um that was tenuous at one point in time (laughs) and uh so the reason that these board and trains work so well and the reason that these um like trainings work so well for these kennel dogs that are going to police departments is because it's transactional these dogs are out and they're not getting the stuff from me or from my trainers that they're getting from their pet owners at home they're not you know getting i mean they get free time like they play fuck around and they run around and do whatever else but they spend a lot of time when we're doing things with them and unfortunately, I think, like you said, I have to remind myself that people come to me on the pet side because they have their best intentions at heart for their dog, right? For they, sure. they, they understand like, look, I love this dog, even if he doesn't love me and I want to do the best by him and I don't know how to do this. And sometimes people take it really hard. They're like, look, you suck. You're a terrible dog owner. 
hey, you're a great dog owner because you came to me, but you're terrible like at owning a dog. Um, you don't need to do that. And then people are like, I know I'm the problem. I just don't know how to fix it. I'm like, all right, well, I mean, we can take care of that. And the canine side, we have it too. I have guys come to me and they're like, I, I know that I'm 100%. Like, I just don't know what to do. And yeah. that's fine. And I understand that. But like, you're 100% right. Like turning down a little bit um, in kind of like getting rid of some of the emotional aspects of it. Like my dog is going to save me because he loves me. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's going to self-satisfy a drive satiation, whether it's prey or whether it's food or whatever it is, he's doing it out of a selfish motivation. And we manipulate that to get the behaviors that we want. Um, and the pet side, it's a little different because you have some dogs that are, I think, a little more, um, they're definitely not like in this narrow window of dogs. I've got some dog. I have a female right now. My other, my female is sitting across from my male and she tolerates humans. She, that's not what I was really, going to say. Yeah. She, she, yeah. she's mm-hmm. like, she kind of likes me. Like she'll let me pet her. She'll let my girlfriend pet her. Like, but other than that, she's like, eh, I'm going to take my shit and leave. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. you're going to feed me. If you're not, I'm going to go. I don't really need you. Like it's fine. I'll be fine. It's all right. And, uh, and that's just kind of like how she is. And it's, it's the weirdest thing because people like miss their dogs. And like when I, when people can pick pick up their pets, like they turn into confetti and I'm like, all right, like, let's just wait. And like everybody chill out. So yeah, I I think there's definitely (laughs) something there that canine handlers can take from it because, you know, they think, like you said at the beginning, like they got these big badass dogs and they're like, oh, he loves me. I'm like, no, he loves to hurt people. <laughs> like, and he, like, all you got to do is like, oh, the leash, bro. Like, or like get him in the right position to do the work well. And which is like, we just talked about all those small skills. But Eric. Yeah. I just gave a, uh, we had a, uh, trainers meeting where we, we did some training and then we had a, a reef refresher course for a bunch of a day a day for a bunch of clients and i did a whole speech and i do it for the police guys um it's a kind of a little bit of the same thing tom said i i call it uh be a leader not a litter mate and um when you can kind of break it break it down to um why the dog is treating you this way i always tell them i said if you if you have a litter of puppies when you pull the puppy out of the litter, he's screaming and yelling. You put him down. That puppy goes back to the litter. doesn't go to the mother. She's over here. She's barely tolerant at some points of it. Um, so I said, this is why this dog acts like because you're a buddy. Like you had mentioned the, the buddy part earlier. Um, and that, that kind of seemed to resonate with people a little bit. You know, when you got to talk to them. And I got to say the same thing to, to some canine handlers. Um especially every time I see a picture of one of them with their center divider open and their cruiser and their Arbor petting them <laughs> all the damn time right there at shit on shift. And I'm like, guys, you are killing me here, man. This dog does not need you to do that. And a lot of those dogs have problems, but so we're going to go ahead and take a break, uh, commercial break. When we come back. We're going to talk about, um, believe it or not, a tool that is still an issue in canine, in working dogs, uh, uh, the e-collar, because it is so under utilized incorrectly and just not, not really done right. And again, these are still traits coming back from the 80s and the early 90s. And then they're just regurgitated along. There are still trainers, I know some very well, that will not use 
e-collars because they think they're only for the bad dogs or the, the, you know, teaching the out. And um, we're going to talk about that. Talk about how you were talking about how you get into um, like the start of your e-collar stuff a little bit and um, talk about some, even some product stuff. So we'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland canine training. They are, Great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. Right here online, uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience, and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues, you can't go. Get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. Another one of our favorite partnerships with the podcast here is the one and only Dogtra. The Dogtra guys have been producing some amazing tools in the dog training world for a long time. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball trainers. If it's electric and you use it with a dog, they've probably done it. They're the best. They are revolutionizing the way you communicate with the dog. I use it daily, whether I'm using pets. Uh, I use the 200C on most of our pets. Uh, most of my patrol guys will use a 1900 hands-free, 1900S hands-free. And then I use the ball popper pretty much daily with all of our detection dogs for imprinting on our box protocols. So hit them up at Dogtra Official on Instagram and Facebook. And then you've got Dogtra.com. And when you go there, if you use the discount code WDR10, they'll give you 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. So if you're looking at a 1900S or that Ball Popper Pro or one of those things, it'll knock a substantial chunk off there. So hit them up, doctor.com, WDR10. So everybody knows that Ted and I uh, not only train police dogs, we train pet dogs, right? We train dogs. So it's why our relationship with Ray Allen Manufacturing is so important. They've, these guys have been doing this so long. They knew and they understand that dogs are dogs and it's not just working dog people that need things for their dog and dog training. So you go to rayallen.com. They have everything dog related that you need. Anything that when it comes to dogs, pet dogs, your pet training dogs, police dogs, dogs you're training for other departments, anything you need, rayallen.com. Uh, they've got it. You can get on there. So if you're ordering stuff for police dogs and if you have a pet side, you can get it all in one, man. They ship it out. Got a nice big box full of a whole bunch of stuff. There's nothing better than getting a big box of dog training stuff in the mail. They also are great to us and they offer a discount code working dog radio, all capital letters, working dog radio for 10% off. Check them out. Rayallen.com. Great people. Ted and I use them every day. 
Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law, the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work. Lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too. So if you got one that fits, you can do it. Uh, they also do contraband and animal control systems, just to name a few. So be sure to hit them up. The website is Easy Rider Online. So that's the letter E, the letter Z, as in zebra. RiderOnline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American Aluminum Accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out out at ALM uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM canine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that you know had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 
They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody. We are back working dog radio broadcasting the bite with our friend, Tom Davis. Uh, I think no bad dogs. Is that the, the, the big label now? Is that the, uh, everything? It's starting to be, yeah. The, the No Bad Dogs is like a, it's it's starting to become like a lifestyle clothing brand uh, slash products slash just what I say. And the main reason why it's created this thing is because I got so sick of telling dog owners that it's not the dog. So I just fucking put it on a t-shirt and a hat <laughs> and I'll wear, it, I'll wear it like this. And they're like, my dog this, my dog that. I'm like pointing at my hat. I'm like, it's not mm-hmm. the dog. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, Ted and I need no bad dogs beard oil. If you, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it smells like shame and cuss words. Um, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're we, everybody knows that listens to our episodes that we are uh, we have a really good sponsorship relationship with Dogtra. Um, we've been using Dogtra collars for a long time, and if they go alive a lot on, on social media, and lately, the when they're on their live in inevitably someone brings up on a question thing this new tom davis uh version of the dog trick collar and then they'll run specials and they're showing it and then i you know i was like well i gotta go check this thing out taking a look at it talk about just before we get into the actual use of the e-collar talk about that how that thing came about and why it came about yeah, man. I'm just super grateful that it's there and it's existing. It's still got to like pinch myself that we have that on the shelves right now. Cause it's like a, it's a dream come true. And, and I saw you, I told you guys like my story in the beginning, you know, like my dog um, who recently passed, who was blasted all over that box. You know, like I got into e-collars and my first e-collar I had in my hand as a professional was doctor. And the fact that I have my own now with them is crazy. So yeah, basically, um, you know, Dogshire and I started a, a, a relationship three back in 2019. Um, they actually met, they met somebody, they met somebody at the Albany had a, I forgot what it was, but it was like the all, it was like the, it was a police, police association, something in Albany many years ago. I can't remember what it was, but it happens like once a year. And it's like this big conference and competition and whatever. Anyway, and somebody was there that worked for Albany PD and they gave one of the guys a ride home. Um, and they said, Hey, do you ever heard, you know, of Tom Davis? Like he uses your stuff. And he's like, no, he checked me out. And then, uh, we started a relationship. I, I, I talk, I've, I've had a great relationship with Pete Fisher for many years now as well. And Pete, believe it or not, Pete doesn't actually really work for dog He just, it's an interesting relationship, but anyway, Pete, Pete is an association with Dogtra and is kind of a rep for them. And Pete Fisher is a bird dog hunter from way back and great guy lives in Minnesota. I still believe. Um, and I've had a relationship with him and, you know, we've been talking for years and then the whole thing happened in Albany and they reached out to me and they said, Hey man, you know, we see that you use Dogtra. We'd really like to start a working professional relationship with you. We'd love to, you know, be on your pod you know be on your podcast or in your videos whatever so we, we kind of started that relationship back in the day um went went out and met the owners of dogtra at shot show in vegas and um that was a lot of fun and just really got to really know the guys over in dogtra and the whole sales team and the marketing team and it's just a it's an awesome company so that's really you know that's kind of my 
backstory really quick on my relationship with them and how it started. But so we, so over the years we're, you know, my goal, um, I'm a big advocator for tools in general. Um, I'm a bigger advocator for using them properly and especially working in the pet industry, um, pet owners, to be honest, pet owners come in and they don't really care what works. They just want what works. They're like, they don't care if I give them an orange peel and say, Hey, here's the magic thing. And it works. They don't give a shit. They just want to know what works. So, you know, I have a, I have a big, uh, opportunity to teach people about how, how to use e-collars properly. And so Dogger and I have been kind of working together on doing that and educating and, and using their, their product. And one day, Lorraine, which is um, part of the marketing team over there, we were just kind of bullshitting on the phone because we have meetings all the time talking about how we can do things differently and do things better. And our my relationship with Dogtra is to literally just help dog owners understand what the remote collar is through my voice and through my socials and my platforms and my community, the No Bad Dog community, because you know people are states, countries. Law, I mean, we're, they're getting banned everywhere. Um, and it's, it's a shame. And so that's my relationship with them. And then one day Lorraine said, like, cause I said something about, you know, what we should do Lorraine is I said, we should make an e-collar that is more approachable to Karen and to Bill next door and to Ed and to all the other dog owners who just want their dog to come back when called, or maybe we want to make a collar that's less scary for people. And right now, all the, all the e-collars that Dogtra has are, you know, this black box. And like we talked about earlier, and we'll talk about in a minute, um, as far as how it's used. And Eric, you said it too, is like, you know, it's, 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 it's compulsion. It's just like, Hey, if the dog's a jerk, wham. And so we wanted to make it fun and we want, and we were like, okay, how can we make this and, and so we kind of started, I'm like, yeah, we, you know, we can make like a no bad dogs, you know, because my no bad dog community, listen, you guys know this better than I do. And like I said, I get shit for this sometimes. And it's kind of funny, but people say, like, oh, this guy obviously does never train with dogs. Cause he says no bad dogs. What an idiot. I'm like, listen, I listen, I know that certain dogs can be complete assholes from the get from the jump. That's not the point. And I'm not making content or I'm not making training videos for you either, Rick. I'm making videos for, dog owners out there that are struggling with their dog and they know that they've messed up severely and, and it's not the dog's fault. That's why I created the no bad dog community. So they doctor tried to approach me and they said, Hey, we want to make like an e-collar kind of surrounding the community that you're building and the things that you're doing in the, in the dog community. And I said, that's awesome. And then we started talking about the approachability from dog owners, you know, people who want like fun stuff that is, you know, is, is enticing to look at. So we started talking about different colors and I said, that would be cool to just make it as colorful as possible. Make it fun, make it inviting, make it less scary. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's shake up the industry a little bit. And there's other e-collars out there that have different cover plates on the remote and stuff, but we wanted to go really above that. And we did. And so we kind of got the okay from the high ups and dog and the owners of dog and they said, yeah, this is a great idea. You know, we kind of worked out the deal and um, we started to develop it. And I worked with my trainers and my staff and um, one of my really good friends, uh, Forrest Mickey, we worked on like, I just worked with different trainers throughout the industry that I said, hey, what, what do you think e-collars are missing? What do you think doctors missing? What do you think we can do better? And so I kind of just developed it over time with my ideas and 
So now, so now we have my own Dogtra Tom Davis 280C. We, we wanted to develop, I like the 280C because it's a great pet unit. It's a compact, inexpensive, half a mile range, one, zero to 127. And I love the HPP on it. And for those of you who don't know what an HPP is, it's the high performance pager. And it's real, that, that pager is really great for discouraging behaviors and making things less conflicting for dogs instead of correcting this on the stimulation. So it's something I use a lot of my pet obedience, my pet uh, behavior mod. And so we kind of molded it around the 280C. We made it colorful. There's orange and blue and brown and red. Um, and there's some functions on it too that are really new to Dogtra. Um, and so that's kind of like how it all happened. And right now it has a nick a continuous nick, a boost and continuous, um, and a continuous boost as well. And so there's some proprietary things that doctor has never done, uh, in the making of the collar. And, you know, to be honest with you guys and be transparent and doctor knows this, my staff would only use e-collar tech, uh, for the boarding trains because they had the boost mm -hmm. and I get it. You know, that's a great, like, Hey, really quick especially for dog owners. And you guys know this, you know, I say, okay, well go, you know, you're at a conditioning five, go up to a 10 cause we're not listening. And we know really good what recall is. And then the dog owner's sitting there like this and they're, they're holding it up and they're like, Oh, I'm at six. Is that okay? I'm like, no, 10. I'm at nine. I'm like, okay, that that's good enough. Hit the button. And by the time they tried to correct the dog for not coming on the first, you know, recall, the dog's already sitting at their feet sleeping. Right. So I told dogs and I get it. And I said, can we get the boost? Like we need the boost. Come on guys. Like, I don't want to have Tom Davis 280C without the boost. We need the boost. Doctor needs the boost, right? It's, a, it's, it's awesome. They said, no, can't do the boost. I said, oh, shit. Okay. Whatever. Two months later, my man, Steve comes in and he says, we can do boost. I said, hell Yes. So again, Dogtra doesn't have boost. It's the first collar that has boost. It's the first collar that has a continuous nick, I believe as well, which is kind of, we'll talk about that if you want to, about kind of the, the options. And so, yeah, so we launched it. Um, we launched it, I think in August, shortly after I got married in Colorado and it sold out in like two days and now it's in and out of stock and it's been a great success and, and it's doing exactly what we want, what did I wanted to do. You know, I didn't make it for somebody that wants to necessarily be discreet and not let people know that I made it for people who are proud to use the e-collar. I made it for people that understand that the remote collar training is a privilege that you earn and not something that you have to do. I don't want to have to get the remote collar out. I don't want to have to use the shock collar. It's not a shock collar. It's a remote collar. It's modern technology. And the e-collar that we made with Dogtra, I think, kind of represents the fun thing you know that and, and when you get it it's a fun box it's got confetti everywhere it's all these different colors it's got my duchy on the front it's got my three dogs on the back my late saint bernard my older dog and it's got a tutorial in it right when you open it up and it's a message for me like a personalized message that i put together and i tell people how to turn it on <laughs> how to turn it off <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, make sure the dog knows this before you use this button, things like that. So we kind of have a little tutorial in there too, which is new for Dogcha. So when I said I wanted to put my name on it, I said, I really want to go all out. And, and I want to make sure that people are doing this the right thing and they're doing it the right way. And so that's kind of how this whole new product came about. And it's, I'm really proud of it. And we worked really hard at it and dog owners are loving it. So. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ted messaged me, he goes, shit, I didn't know it had all the boots and all that stuff on. He's yeah. going to order some right yeah. now while we're talking. Uh, honestly, um, 
because the like I use Dodger stuff at the kennel, um, and I use 1900 S's with the police dogs, uh, hands free 1900 S, um, based on the way I use it. And I use it, I have all the titanium points and shit, and like whatever. So, uh, mm-hmm. but for the pet owners, um, uh, we use 200 C's, and I'm constantly dealing with the problem that you were like highlighting, right? So, my guys. Jacob and Josh and Kevin and like the new girl we hired, I'm sure is really good too. I got to talk to her about it, but like with that moving that stimulation really quickly because they know like what's going to happen. Right. So, and, but dealing with pet owners. Right. And then as you know, like my problem with that is like the numbers are really hard on that to dial in. So uh, I honestly thought that it was just like a collar that had like, the color on it and then it was the the it was the receiver or it was the transmitter from like the 1900 series or the arc series that had the the radio stat dial so that you could see like the actual number like your dog is a 14 yeah. and rather than like i'm like he's about in between a 15 and 20 so like in there and he'll respond like that's where he's at so i like you're talking about i was like fuck yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna order these <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna order for my pet clients so yeah they're so, awesome we we talk about and we talked about before we started the thing about uh, the the still the big the big problem in the working dog world is that the uh, e collar is only a, a break. It is only designed to be used to pop a dog off a bite for outing, recall, and um, instead of using it as a, a, a gas pedal, as people will say, and different things. Um, so when you're you, you've evolved your learning and your use of the e-collar over the years. Where have you settled in now? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's great. I, I, um, I try to learn something new every day and I try to get better at what I do every day. I don't know it all. I don't pretend like I do. If I'm not learning how to get better, then I'm not, I'm not a good teacher. And so for me in the remote collar currently, uh, I kind of go over the same principles of where I started of, and, and again, this is, this is the interesting thing and, and might be a good topic of discussion is especially in the pet world. And, and I know for you guys too, but it's more in the pet world because people are really loud in the pet industry. And it's like, listen, I think everybody has their own, like I consider myself more of an artist than I do a dog trainer because everything that I do is very on the fly. It's, I don't, I don't have to think about it a ton. It just happens. I'm doing this at this moment with this timing, with this tool saying this thing. And it's it, every dog to me is a blank canvas in a sense. That's kind of the way I, I express it is it's very expressional thing for me. When I'm working a dog, it's kind of like a dance. I want it to be, I want it to be finesse. I want it to look good. I want it to be like anyway. So for me in the remote collar and the way that I've developed it is something I've kind of taken a little bit of everything from the people I learned from. You know, and so my core is from the monks of Nooski by introducing it in a very low level stimulation. Hey, do you get what this is? Do you understand that this stimulation, this thing that you feel on your neck, do you know that that's me? Yes. Okay. And do you know how to shut it off? Yes. Okay. We're good. That's really where I'm at. Um, as far as conditioning, I have, I have two different ways that I, I introduce the remote collar. The first way is the slow and steady, like I just talked about. Low-level stimulation, a lot like negative reinforcement. Um, tapping the dog when I ask them to do a behavior, when they do it, it shuts off. They learn that over time and conditioning using verbal cues that the remote collar is now me and it's an extension of me. And of course, I'm always layering this over behaviors that is they're already pre-existing. 
Because the last thing I want to do is stress the dog out on basic obedience by teaching them this new piece of computer and a new behavior. That doesn't make any sense to me. But if somebody else does it and they're successful, more power to you. The other way that I introduce the remote collar is what I call an intervention, <laughs> which is exactly what it sounds. If I got a dog coming in and they're trying to take my larynx out of my throat, rip it out of me, I'm going to use what I call intervention. And to be honest with you guys, nine times out of 10, my intervention, my intervention training with the remote collar doesn't have anything to do with stimulation. The level stays at zero. And I like using the, the Tom Davis 2EDC HPP, which is the high performance pager by discouraging the behavior when it happens. And just like positive reinforcement, I'm using that positive punishment. The moment the behavior comes out, I want to discourage by definition. That's what positive punishment is. And immediately they understand that when they bark, they lunge, they try to get me, this thing happens and they don't like it. And I, and I find that the reason why I do the pager instead of the stimulation is I found over time that the stimulation for most clients is conflicting with the dog. It creates conflict because you're pouring gas on a dog that's trying to really hurt you out of rather it's frustration, fear, or they just like hurting people. I find that the stimulation, much like a prong collar correction for a dog like that can be conflicting to most dogs. But let me tell you that vibrate out of nowhere, right when they decide to be a jerk. And sometimes I'll cue it on a leave it and they stop. And then we're in business has been insanely successful for me. So those are my two ways of introduction and where I'm at in e-collar training right now. The two, the two things that I introduced in the beginning is I, I've adopted, I've adapted from Michael Ellis's teaching of sending the dog to a place and getting the dog to come at, come back to you. So recall, um, just using continuous. Um, that's really where I'm at right now is just, especially for my pet people. And it's something that I tell people, this is going to, you're taking a computer and you're training this animal to understand this. And it's going to take time. And it's something that we have to develop over time. And it's not an easy fix. I can't just say, oh, you want your dog off leash? Here you go. That's where I'm at. So when you get a dog that comes in um, uh, day one, uh, how soon are you introducing the e-collar? Are you a day uh, oneer? Is it, is it like, no, I don't know the dog. I don't. Yeah. Normal. And, and the dog isn't a, isn't a throat lunger or anything. You're just uh, regular. Hey, dog. Yeah. We're going to start today. Yeah. Well, if it's, if it's e-collar and they come in for e-collar, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go through how I would walk a dog through that process. Um, and I always try to tell people, whether it's on a podcast or an interview or a client, like as much as we dog trainers want to write down what's right and wrong, we don't always live in that narrow area of perfect, perfect situation, perfect opportunity that just doesn't exist with us. When a dog comes in, we don't have that because reality would be, oh, you're, you're bringing your dog in the second week of October for e-collar training, buy your e-collar late September, put it on every day until you get in and then we'll talk when you get here, right? So let's talk about how I would introduce the remote collar to a dog that already has pre-existing behaviors with no behavioral problems. Is that fair? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so with, with the Tom Davis 280C or any other dog chair, like low to medium output, I would usually start off on a four or five. I have a dog that I actually worked yesterday on a two. And the first couple of things I do is what I call tap and turns. So it's a lot of directional changes. So I'll set it up on a, excuse me, on a four or five and I'll have a leash, but the leash typically won't have action to it. So it'll just be either dead ring 
um, or a martingale maybe at the most, or just a flat collar. And what I'll do is I'll start, the dog has to, again, the dog has to know the behavior before I do any of this. So if I turn and I say heel, I don't want the dog to go heel. What the hell is heel? Cause then we're messy. So I turn and I say heel and in conjunction with the, with the cue, the stimulation is turning on as I go. And at, in the beginning, it's just a tap. And basically the way that I equate it is I'm tapping the dog on his shoulder and I'm changing directions, tap and turn, tap and turn, tap and turn, tap and turn. And so essentially, again, it's a little bit like negative reinforcement in a way that I'm tapping the dog. And when they come to me, it shuts off. But in the beginning, I'm not using any continuous. I find like the continuous for some dogs, can, they can get kind of spooked and um, they can kind of shut down sometimes. So I just do a quick tap and turn. Once the dog is comfortable with that, then I'll start getting into some, some place work. Again, they already know the place because I wouldn't be introducing it if they didn't. They already know the place. So we'd be working on place. And then I would start using the continuous nick on my unit. The difference for anybody listening between a regular continuous and my unit nick, the continuous nick on the 280C that I have is tap, 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 tap. And the continuous on a normal remote collars, tap, 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 tap. So it kind of replaces almost like a leash pressure pop, if you will. So it's not as intense, I find. It gives the dog a little bit more control and it empowers them a little bit more. And they have a little bit more fairness to some of their behavior shutoffs. So I'll ask the dog, hey, Fido, place, tap, tap, tap. They get there, boom, they get paid with a piece of food. I say, yes, good place. I mark it. I break the dog off and I, and I keep doing that route. Maybe day two, we start with the same stuff and then I'll start doing recall. Same thing. I get the dog at the end of the leash. I say, hey, Fido, come. I hold tap, tap, tap. They turn and they come to me. I shut it off. The big question I usually get is, do you shut it off when the dog turns and commits? Or do you shut it off when the dog gets to you? Typically, I'll shut it off when the dog completes the task. But if I got a dog that's like 95% of the time turning and hauling ass to me, I'll just tap it. He commits. I shut it off. If you find that dog to get very opportunistic and say, hey, the, you know, the pressure stopped. I'm going to go take a, take a stroll this way. It comes back on. And that's kind of like my introduction phase. It's very lots of positive reinforcement. A ton. And, and my goal, like I tell pet owners, is your job, like when I, and it's probably the same for you guys, I can't even go into my kitchen and slide my remote collar across my counter without my dogs jumping down my throat because they know this means we're going to go work. We're going to go do something. And that's what the remote collar should be for most pet owners or really any dog in my opinion. And that's kind of like my introduction. Lots of positive reinforcement, lots of really easy things to do to give the dog confidence to shut the remote collar off lots of empowerment and confidence building. And that's kind of how I do it over like a three or four day process. I do have a proofing system, but that's, that's like generally what I do. So you have a, a canine handler. He's been through school. Uh, the dog was trained prior to him getting the dog with a, you know, with a knee collar or a remote collar. And um, he's going to work this dog and he's got to maintain some things, you know, obedience and different things a because it makes his life easier and b he has certifications he has to how would you for that guy how would you break it down when nick when continuous are you only using continuous when you're just teaching the dog things so how would you break it down to him go this is the way i would have trained him or this is the way you should be maintaining this with this high drive working dog yeah it's a great question and I'll try to answer it the way that I, I, 
I think it's asked. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you get a dog that already is conditioned on the remote collar, I always tell people this, that if you get into the best shape of your life, you're not going to stay there unless you condition Right. So say you're like, Hey man, I'm running 10 miles a day. And oh, like Mike Jones, for example, is my, one of my best buddies. I know Mike, well, I have for many, many years. And so, you know, he just lost a ton of weight, got into a ton of shape. So he's a great example. He's running every goddamn day, like 15 miles anyway. So if you get into the best shape of your life and you stop, right. Same thing with remote collar training, you get this dog sharp, you get this dog stopping on a dime. You get this dog to understand the remote collar without any conflict, without any adversive at all. The dog is just responsive to it. They get it. They know it's you. You're good. You can't just stop because it's like learning a new language. You start learning how to speak German and you go through it and you're like, okay, you're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. You just stop. It's going to go away, right? You got to keep conditioning. So if, if you, if you got a dog and they're conditioned on the remote collar, what I like to tell people as far as the Nick and the continuous is some, and it depends on the dogs. Cause I think some dogs can be kind of opportunistic, right? They need pressure to get them into position sometimes. So the way that I usually do it for conditioned dogs that are kind of sensitive, if you will, is I'll just use the Nick and I'll just let the dog know, Hey, sit down. And I just touch him. That's all I'm doing is I'm touching him. Remember me? I got this buddy. Hey, this is still happening. Remember like, Oh yeah. So it kind of keeps them fresh. It keeps them on their toes. It keeps them in shape. That's what conditioning is. It keeps you in shape. The only time I shouldn't say that, but the majority of times that I'll use conditioning is to get her to tune a dog's obedience up faster if i have a dog that outs and by the time you say t and out they're outing and all of a sudden they're not i'll start using continuous to get that out faster same thing with sit if i say sit and they're kind of looking at me with like a hover sit and i'm like dude really then i'll start using continuous to make that obedience faster so if i if they're if they get then accustomed to using feeling that continuous and they know that continuous is going to get on until they put their butt in the ground. So for the handler, that's, I guess, new to the conditioning of the remote collar, the continuous is going to give you an option to hold the pressure down until the dog completes the behavior. And you're going to predicate that type of training, depending on the dog that you're working with. You might get a dog that's super fast. That's motivated by an item that's already out in the training field that you're working with. And you may just need to hit Nick, sit, tap, the dog sits, bang. You get a dog that's kind of looking at you like, do I have to? You don't have to go up in the collar. All you have to do is hold the continuous down until the dog completes the behavior. That's the first step. And that's, that's where the beauty that we were talking about a little bit before, Eric, is, is that's where the boost feature kind of comes in after that. Mm-hmm. But that's really kind of the difference, I think, with the conditioned dog in my experience. Yeah, I like that. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing because a lot of the guys weren't there at the beginning, they weren't there, you know, day one used to be, man, all of our training was green dog, green handler. And, you know, you could, and some agencies still get to do that, which is cool. My old agency that I retired from there right now, kind of half in kind of half out of it. It's been nice. It can be frustrating at times, but it's nice when everyone starts together at, at day one, you know, and, um, then they can see how the operant conditioning was used, you know, to, to teach all the dogs up. But, but nowadays they're not, they're going to show up to my place, Ted's place, wherever this is the dog. This is his collar. Let's get to work, do this. And they're behind eight ball a little bit. So that's a good way to put it. So they can kind of, they're listening to this go. Yeah. Cause I'm telling you when you, when guys listen to this, especially when we talk about the behavioral problems, there's, there's handlers out there going, 
it's like he's in my car. It's like he knows the problems that I'm dealing with with these. How we uh, how I teach it for my canine guys is not for pet people, but for canine guys is I use Nick um, and like the tapping sensation for something I call soft commands. So for healing, for, uh, for some of the stuff is like where you deal with retracting, right? So if I have them in healing and they get out of a position, right? Like I almost play like the hot cold game with them. So like you, like you're talking about change position, Nick, change position, Nick. Right. And it's not followed by like a continuous command. Cause one thing that I'm continue to say to my handlers is you give one command, one behavior, right? So when I tell you to heal, you're healing and you're doing the heal position until I tell you to do something else. If you start to deviate from that, I'm going to tap you a little bit, tap, tap, tap. Just like you said, like tap into position. That's not going to be paired with a command, right? Like that's just do the command that I know that you're doing or that I know that you know how to do. And you know that I know that you know that and just do it. If you don't slight correction, right? The hard commands are the ones with my dog, with the police dogs that we use continuous. So when we start saying dog name out, dog name here dog name this dog named that when we start saying dog name it's kind of a predicate of pay attention fuckhead and then pressure comes on and continuous and depending on what it is and depending on the dog there'll be some more volume <laughs> and depending on the situation and then when the perform when the behavior is, is completed there's then the release of pressure so hmm. It's we call them hard commands, and well, I just call it tell my handlers like this is a hard command, like dog name plots. Woo. And then the other thing that I kind of reinforce with my handlers, and this happens a lot with guys that I think Eric and I don't train, is that they'll use the collar a little bit and then they'll get fucking lazy and they'll still put yeah. the collar on the dog. And the thing about positive punishment that you have that I tell people all the time is it has to be perceived as serious and it has to be perceived as omnipresent and consistent. And I was like, if it's not there, it's not going to work. And it's the same thing with positive reinforcement. Like that shit has to be there all the time. And so if you're going to use the collar, like use the fucking collar, like Eric has told the story a couple of times on the podcast and at the HRD stall too, where he had a handler that he really likes that he would show up and like the dude would have like not his fucking reward toy. It didn't have his fucking e-collar remote. And you're like, Hey, where, where's your fucking remote? Oh, it's in the car. Well, you can't use it if it's in the car. So, <laughs> um, you know, and I tell my handlers, I'm like, you know, you need thousands of reps of this being consistent all the fucking time. I saw my pet handler, my pet trainers that are my pet people that too. But I think a lot of times dudes will slap a collar on a dog and then get the behavior right because they're doing they're doing it correctly uh, or semi correctly. They'll get the behavior they want. And they're like, "Fuck it, the dog knows it. I don't need it anymore." I'm like, ah, <laughs> "Hold on, it's not how this works." And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Yeah, he did it great for like a week," and then he went back to doing it before. I'm like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could have told you that." But so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's how I teach it. I don't, know. Eric, is that what you do? Or you, you do something like that, right? With I do, um, yeah, I do. Uh, so I teach uh, continuous. I teach uh, recall first, then they. But the the e collar is already started layered over. Uh, as yeah. Tom said, uh, like sit. You know, that's so one of my vendors in Europe. I'm like, listen, guys. Uh, all I ask is this dog knows sit when he yeah. comes here, because I can start day one, start working because the, a lot of the dogs are coming out of like Hungary and stuff. Don't know sit. And when I get the dog on like thurs- Thursday, I have to start <laughs> training on on Monday 
and it would be nice if they knew how to sit so I could just kind of have a start point, but sometimes they don't. And then um, as far as the e-collar stuff goes, I use, uh, I teach recall first and then away and then, and all the other things in there. And I try to, I started doing this thing cause I do it. The pets stuff is day one. We teach, uh, we start anyways, um, come down, sit, heal, and place and some stuff with the, with the e-collar, with the tone, uh, over and over and over all day long, over and over and over and over, put them up next trainer over and over and over. And we do it in fives, five sets of everything. So what I'll end up doing after a few reps is come straight to place, sit down. And then every single time I take them out of the, of the crate out to go to the bathroom, they walk at a heel. And even if they don't know it, and by the end of day two, they're, well, by the end of day one, they're flying to the place cot and we're ahead and I can put the e-collar on everybody. Um, Cause we, our boarding trains are two weeks. So on a, on a regular dog, three to four on a, on a, a behavioral case. So we try to get everything going. So I started doing it with the police dogs. And what I'm finding is uh, if Jordan, the kid that works for me, we started it on Monday, Friday, they're completely off leash, fully tuned up on everything, completely off leash and doing the heel and everything. And it's just, and they're doing it and they like it, you know, so they they'll send away on the e-collar to, to place. And it works out real well. The one thing we got to get doctor to do though, for me is put a tone function on the 1900s. Yeah. Um, I'm, I use the tone a lot on pets and I started using it on um, high drive working dogs. I'm, I'm getting, we call it tone avoidance. We're getting the tone function backed by backed by stem to to get them to spit a toy out or even out on a bite in one day and it's non-conflict it's it's uh them it's a fair warning to them out tone stem out tone stem out tone stem out tone out tone out and then out right and by the end of the first time we do it first day i say out low so whatever it is and they're spitting that bite out and it's they, they, they don't try to avoid me when I walk up to them. So I got to try to get them to get that tone on, on that collar. Um, real quick, before we go through our social media, what is your response to, to uh, folks with uh, my dog is collar aware or whatever they call it. Collar yeah, smart. I just wrote that down. Cause Ted, you said, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Cause Ted, you, it was a good, I want, yeah, it was a good segue in there. It's like, a lot of the canine handlers, anybody out there that's listening, that's, that has a dog on. And what you were saying, Ted, is, is that's how dogs become collar wear is inconsistency. So you said foos or you said come or you said here and the collar's on and they're like, I'd rather do something else. And then they get corrected like, ah, shit. And they come back and then they get out of their cruiser and they get out and maybe they don't run run into you guys and they kind of slip under the radar and don't put their e-collar on and they're doing a little bit of warm-up with their dog and then they ask a behavior that normally they would get corrected for when the collar's on and then they don't dogs are smart enough to go uh-huh so the collar awareness is really big with what ted was saying with consistency because you don't want a dog to become collar aware in my opinion to for general rules because i think that the collar is just again in the in the Grand scheme of things, there's nothing else in the world. I was talking about this. I just did a um, seminar in London and I was talking about 
this was a big topic is they were because there were people because in the UK, the e-collar is banned in certain places and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so it's like, they, don't so like they, guns. Like, they don't like guns either, which yeah, whatever. So it's, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, and so when I went over there, this was in September, so kind of recently when I did a seminar and I was just saying like, you know, they were like, why? We, they're like, we're not against it. We just don't know why. And my response was the remote collar is the only thing in the world that can hold your dog accountable realistically, completely wirelessly off leash. There's nothing else. I don't care how much your dog loves you. I don't care how much treats or the ball you have in your hand. If there's a squirrel, chipmunk, deer, rabbit, bad guy, guy that's running in a puffy Michelin North face coat that's yelling is running away. It's the only thing that's going to really hold your dog accountable. Mm-hmm. And so you're my opinion and, and everyone has their own opinion is when you're, when you're working with the remote collar, it's an extension of you. And in the beginning and the conditioning phases, it's crucial that you're using it as an extension of you. And kind of, it's a, it's the same exact thing that Eric was talking about with the tone is that the tone is kind of the warning. And then after that, if they're not outing from, I think what I understood is that mm-hmm. then they get the correction and it's like the same exact thing with your verbal cues. If you say, here's what I find. It's the same thing with any other tool. It's the same thing with the, the e-collar and the prong collar and the slip, excuse me, and the plastic pinch and everything else that you're using. Once the dog understands that there's an actual consequence for lack of the lack there of listening or lack of engagement or lack of completing the behavior that they know or just lack of completion or complying, they change. They're like, ah, got it. And that's your, and, and behavior modification, that's your only goal anyway is I want you to change your perception of what this actually means. And for the pet owners that I normally deal with, they've never been punished in their whole life. So there's no, of course they come in and they're out of control and they're not listening and they take, they don't take anything seriously because they've never been punished in their life. So I think the, the collar awareness going back to circling back to that is, I just think that if, if your dog is super collar aware, then there's a good chance that there's not a good foundation of the conditioning. And I can tell you from experience that dogs that I've worked with that have been super collar aware have been dogs that were slapped on and been corrected with the stimulation without any context of what it means. So a lot of superstitious association stuff. And they know they said, Hey, this collar sucks. That's why wire. That's why invisible fences work so good is because they know that when that collar is on and they go near that, white flag or that part of the yard they get nailed and so that's what collar awareness can do but again it depends on how you want to train your dog and i think it can have more disadvantages than advantages yeah yeah yeah, i can see that um yeah inconsistent my whole thing is even for pet dogs uh it's a uniform come out of the crate in the morning sit whatever it is collars go on um, canines for canine, uh, training, uh, Ted's heard me say it before I tell them all callers all day. Um, when, when you get done working, uh, whatever problem, and you're going to put the dog back in the cruiser, do not take his collars off, right? Put it, leave them on him all day. That way you don't forget if it becomes a routine and then we're going to use, you know, we're going to work every caller. We're going to show you how to work the prong collar when you're at home and you just got to go outside for a walk. Cause you didn't put the collar on because you didn't charge it. Um, and 
in in the understanding the concepts of of pressure on pressure off uh, are the same for the leash and the collar as they are for the for the remote collar and when you kind of explain that to them they're like oh so i i'm not just slamming them at 127 for a recall i'm like no i but that's what has been you know thrown out there for a lot of years like i said the uh you're at training and your dog's in a group and he's not outing or recalling or whatever. And they go, go get the e-collar. Like you got to go to the drawer and get this thing that's gas powered. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, what, what was the Ted, the old ones where there's like, you had to put two wires together. What was that fucking thing? Oh no, dude, we had one and it had a leather collar and it had like uh, on the bottom of the receiver, it had a, a, fuck is a tritronics and it had a thing that you like switch out and it was like red green and black i don't remember what the ones were but man when you fucking put black on there like <laughs> you would see black i mean it was like uh, i mean it that was gnarly and it was like the this the stem was like because i can feel like i felt and that's kind of one of the things about one of the other guys is make some collars like the e-collar technologies and dog drill and like the stimulation feels different this was like getting hit with a fucking hammer and like and you put like in the thing it was like a battery integrator i mean it was like the size of this beer can and then it had another thing that went on the bottom of it and that's what the stimulation was and it had a single button on it that had a huge shroud on it like the launch button for a missile because you did not <laughs> want to accidentally hit that thing and yeah and like we tried it one day and i was like this thing's fucking bullshit and, and like i was like i'm not gonna put this on a dog i gotta see what it feels like and i got it to work and it was not like no but thankfully we've it's 2022 man we just launched a fucking satellite out or we launched a telescope out past the moon we have a remote control car on mars and like, <laughs> we, like, and now we have an e-collar with uh colors a whole bunch of different colors and yeah extra buttons <laughs> and i i do i do like that man that you tom that you were able to uh push and push and you know get to get the, what works the like stuff that really works and the yeah. the uh the folks that do the uh instagram live or the facebook live they always pump it up and it's always cool when i get on there they know who i am from the podcast they always they're always real cool to me and say hi and everything so let's um real quick so we talked about dogtra.com and the tom davis 280c let's talk about your youtube channel uh website, all that stuff. How do people find you? Yeah. Uh, you can pick your, pick your poison. I guess I'm, I'm, I try to give as much content out as I can on different platforms. My YouTube channel is just upstate canine Academy. Um, my Instagram is at Tom Davis or at no bad dogs or at upstate canine. I have three of them. Um, and my website is America's canine educator.com, but that's, that's really for my, my brick and mortar businesses that mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, that's just kind of my staff, you know? Um, but yeah. And then I have a podcast called the no bad dogs podcast where essentially I, uh, I do a lot of online consulting. So somebody calls in, which is why I think we had a little mishap with some of the equipment here is because I'm used to recording this and mm. yeah. So anyway, I have a podcast and basically I do online consulting and I talk to people. So just like on, on uh, YouTube where, you can find me work through problems with dog owners and it comes primarily in a behavior modification way. Um, so somebody comes in with a behavioral problem and I kind of go through the whole process on my YouTube 
it's the same thing on my podcast. I just record the conversation and put it up in audio format. So those are my platforms that you could check me out at if you're interested. Yeah, I just pulled up the podcast. Uh, it's you and the St. Bernard. You're, uh, yeah. You're, uh, that's a big dog. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you can't even see you. You're hugging the dog. You can't even see you in the damn picture. Um, yeah. So how, how do you like podcasting? How's it been going? I love it, man. Uh, right now, I think we're number one on Spotify for, uh, I think it's under, it's like a, it's like pet and fit pet and something. Um, so people are loving it, man. I, we love it. We absolutely love it. It's fun. And I think, like I said, at the end of the day, the only reason why I create content is because it, if it can help somebody or save a dog's life or keep a dog out of a shelter, mm-hmm. then that's why I do it. And, and the podcast gives people that, that medium to do that when they're on their way to work. And I get to talk to people and, um, all over the world. And that's, that's really cool. So I love podcasting because it gives us like, I couldn't sit in front of a camera on YouTube and talk for two hours because I think people will get bored of it, but podcasting, you know, people are on trips and they're cleaning or whatever. And so I, I enjoy podcasts. So I love, I love putting them out. All right. I'm going to find you here on, I think I do follow you on Instagram already. I have to take a look. Uh, yeah. My yeah, personal, that's, that's where I got it on there. Yeah. My personal is just Tom at Tom Davis. And then my, like my yeah. brand, no bad dogs has its own just with one D no bad dogs. And then upstate Karen's kind of just my daycare and my training facilities and stuff like that. But yeah, and then my YouTube, man, we just put shit out all the time. We're just trying to help as many people as we can. And I think my, my biggest push is just advocating for tool usage. So it doesn't get banned everywhere because it's going to really kill a lot more dogs than, than anything else. So I just try to educate as much as I can. Yep. I, I was right. I follow both of them on there. I can, awesome. I can barely stand to, uh, to run the Instagram on one account. Ted has two. I don't know how three actually Ted has. No, and I only run mine. I don't run the other ones. That's not me. All right. Fuck all that. I, <laughs> I do not do that. I, I, have, I have people one. that help me. Yeah. So no. <laughs> speaking of which, about, mine is. Yeah. You know, what is what, it? What Ted underscore summers is my personal. And then. Uh, the ones that I don't run that I provide content for, though, it's Torchlight Canine, Letter K number nine, Torchlight Pets, uh, and then HRD Police Canine. Uh, or, and then, of course, one for the podcast is Working underscore Dog underscore Radio. Um, all of those are associated with me or they have me in there somewhere. So and the, the pet one is obviously pet, rest of them is mainly police dog stuff. Um, I do my personal is both like I'll put pet shit up there. Um, we, had, we had a dog that was working a re- that would not recall. And um, there was the Instagram filter that has the dude screaming in the background and like slamming into it. And we got this dog's recall now. <laughs> Uh, apparently smoking his handler. So the dog, he'll recall the dog now. And the dog comes back at Mach 10. And when he dropped us off, when he dropped the dog off, he was like, Hey, the dog won't recall. I want to take him to the lake and I want him to like run off leash. And I was like, okay. So now he recalls so well that he's like apparently crushing the the owner when he recalls to get back to him. It's better than not coming back. Well, and so now I'm like, uh, like let go of the button. (laughs) just slow down like because so he's like oh it worked great so i didn't ever anticipate that being a problem but he crushed one of my trainers he crushed jacob this bit of big ass like boxer mix thing it just crushed jacob so it was a funny video but yeah so one of my favorites is our friend tara um she does you know uh different sports with a bunch of different dogs and one of is a great dane that she does like schutz and stuff with 
and the dog comes in, you know, and usually they flip into that heel position. There's videos. I think it's on her. I think it was on her BH. Uh, he comes in and hits her square in the chest and then flips. Well, she weighs, I don't know, 110 pounds. He's Green. probably weighs more. He's a big, great day. And you see her comes in, hits, hits her in the chest. And then you see her rock back. Yeah. Almost. Like he, yeah. And I'm like, do you lose points for that? I don't think so. Cause she didn't, he flipped right. It's hilarious. It's just a little touch pad kind of thing with him body position. So it's really cool. That's funny. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, yeah. I'm glad Ted, uh, was been following you a lot and listened to it. And he's, he turned me on to you. I'm like, yeah, man, this, this, I have, I have a couple trainers that work for me that only handle behavioral cases. And so I send them, you know, don't just learn from me, go learn from this guy and this lady and this guy. And so it's, it's really good content. Um, there's a trainer who I'm friends with that lives close here. And I sent a picture of us talking while we were sitting here and she goes, Oh my God, you know, Tom Davis, you're on a podcast with Tom Davis. You know, everybody I'm like, I've been texting uh, back and forth with Chris Jones too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> C. Jones. Yeah. Well, thank you, yeah, man. I pleasure. appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. For sure. Absolutely. I, I loved uh, coming on. I appreciate it very much. Yep. Thank you. Cool, buddy. Thanks. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.